that was the gods have shined on us today. And the reason is because on the episode that the house of the dragon decided to drop an explicit foot fetish on us, we get to talk to radio Westeros who I assume will be blushing throughout this entire time. Lady Gwyn is going to turn the color of her hair, the in, this entire stream. This could not be more perfect. Last week <laughs> did terribly. Sanrixian came on for no dragons, but this time we are blessed. We yeah. are blessed for this one. I am your host, of course, Joe Magician, and welcome to Yoke Boy and Lady Gwyn of Radio Westro. Uh, hi, guys. Hey. Good evening. Uh, are we going to get right to it into the feet? Because everything else is, you know... In the background in it's, this episode. It's, it's really the foot in the room. It really is. <laughs> Hang on just a second. I want to take my socks off. Uh, <laughs> I don't need any information, Lady Gwen. Not yet. Later, <laughs> when I need something, then you can go to the feet. Then we'll be fine. Then the chat will be <laughs> into it. we got to be careful that we don't inadvertently upset the genuine peaceful foot fetishists out there because I respect all of you guys. Oh, so. yeah. It is just hilarious. This is how they chose to make this happen like obviously the real problem is that he's using it to extort her whatever he's doing to do that is the problem but it is just astounding and fantastic that this is where they went we've seen everything in game of thrones they have never gone to the foot level this is a new one. Oh boy what oh yoke boy what did i say to you when that happened she said, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, man. I, and I, I was like, no, this is the best thing that's ever been in Game of Thrones. I have never been it polarized so us. shocked by Game of Thrones in my life. <laughs> they really went there. They went to the place nobody thought was possible on TV, or at least in this yeah. show. Mm. No to the chat. I will not be showing feet for likes. That isn't happening. God help you. <laughs> the seven smile upon you this day. Oh my God. I think this is going to be an interesting episode, especially from HBO's perspective and the writer's perspective, because this is a huge episode for a turning point in terms of the House of the Dragon, the Dance of the Dragons, and literally no one's going to stop talking about the fact that Laris wants to see Allison's sweet feet. That's going to be it. Yeah. That's it. He just That's wants that. to look at those puppies. That's the topic. Oh my god. I also enjoyed that he had different levels where he's okay, stockings are off. That's worth one secret. Then yeah. the stocking <laughs> wait, shoes off one level, second level stockings off, third level, they're up on the couch. It's I thought there was something weird about their relationship a couple episodes ago, but I had no idea. <laughs> The funny thing is I went back and I looked at some of the leaks for this episode that came out earlier in the season and this scene wasn't in it. This was yeah. this initially was not there and it was just a conversation between Laris and Otto. No feet involved. No feet. Otto did not have to show his feet. It was the same setup though for Mysaria. So this was an addition. <laughs> I think it was a secret that was so potent no one dared leak it. Bigger than the Song of Ice and Fire. Do you think that's yeah, on the, the other side of the dagger? Laris likes feet? Yeah. The Song of Alicent's Puppies. Oh my god. I think we should probably talk about the rest of the episode. Was there uh, more? There, there, other stuff happened. I thought it was I hilarious. So. Rainy's in her cloak with the giant hair thing. I couldn't stop yeah. laughing at that. She's going through the crowd with her hair like five feet off the back of her head. <laughs> Very discreet. Two super chats. A black cat from Joseph Newhouse. Thanks, buddy. And five... Four, four pounds 50, four pounds 49, I'm sorry. 10 out of 10, just for a second, I thought Alicent was going to warg. What is a bit of king? What is a bit of kinsling between them? But the feet, yeah. I think those are the two topics. Okay, I'm gonna get this together. We're gonna, we're gonna go through this. I can't believe in, I, I really can't believe that in the episode of the Green Council, the thing we've all been looking forward to for two years, completely mm -hmm. overshadowed. What a creative choice. So I guess the 
Did you guys tell people where to find you? I think like Radio Westeros, all the stuff. What do you guys do? I forgot. We do. I, we do podcasts that generally aren't about feet. <laughs> generally. Not, not anymore. Um, yeah, until now. No, that's our, that's yeah. our thing. Yeah. Radio Westeros. RadioWesteros.com. We have a podcast and we also do House of the Dragon reviews on YouTube. Yeah. Every Tuesday night at seven, we do reviews. So come over and check out our channel. Subscribe to our channel, Radio Westeros. And your uh, co-host, Emily, is in the chat, enjoying the feet talk. Hello, Emily. This is going to be a good one when you guys get to it. (laughs) So let's go through the episode a little bit. So we Mm -hmm. start off with the empty castle, and we see a little kid running out of a room. He goes to Talia, and he goes, Mistress, I have a secret. No feet required for this one. He just gives it up. And then we get the whole chain of events. She goes, tells Allison. She goes to tell Otto. And we get the tell for what's going to happen the rest of the episode that she lights the candles in the window to let Mysaria know that is that their signal for Viserys is dead? They worked that out ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess so. Two that. candles for dead. <laughs> different number of candles, different message. It's very Paul Revere-ish. I was thinking about they did that during during Brienne's weird northern plot line. They did the candle oh, thing. That's right. I was like, oh, they're yeah. bringing this back. I'm I am sure mm-hmm. somebody's gonna be upset that they brought back this motif. But I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I was I was wondering how they communicated outside the castle, especially because we saw during the promos that they were gonna lock everybody up like instantly, mm-hmm. like total lockdown on the rug. Keep nobody gets out. I'm like, how's my sorry you're gonna find out about this? Yeah, that makes sense. And then what? I didn't get a chance to talk to you guys since the last episode. Allison reveals to Otto that in his dying words, which apparently Allison didn't know were his dying words at the time. She was totally surprised by this. She said that Viserys told her that Aegon should be king. Did he? Did he, though? Yeah. You're just Show. hearing what you want to hear. He said words. He said Aegon. Aegon and the, yeah. He said prince. He said reunite the realm. He didn't say... Yeah, he cryptically did. If you take out every like fifth word and rearrange it into the sentence you want, <laughs> then he definitely said it. It was just like a jumble of words. And I was just like, I, I talked about this earlier today with uh, In Deep Geek, and me and Robert both kind of the same reaction. It was like, I think what they're going for is that she's remembering the dream that Viserys told her in front of the fire when he was drunk. And yes. she didn't understand any of it. So she's he must be talking about this. And I know what that dream means. Therefore... Mm-hmm. It means Aegon on the throne, and that's why she chose the Conqueror's crown. But I don't know. I was a little surprised she went for it because she totally gave up in the last episode. She looked mm-hmm. visibly deflated after Viserys slapped down the Vaemon thing. She toasted Rhaenyra as a good queen, seemingly made up with her. I was like, you're going to go back on that because Viserys said that while he was on Milk of the Poppy and very tired? I don't know. Yeah. And yeah, it, I think the the doctor last week said that it was genuine. She really did believe that's what he was conveying. That that's quite for book readers. That's quite a twist, really. So it makes sense for giving her a better reason than she had in Fire and Blood, which was just power. Sure, and it makes sense with her character. She's been guided by Otto this whole time, so she Rainey's kind of addresses that that she's used to being pushed around by people that she sees as more in control than she is. So it's not that it doesn't work with her character. It was just like. Those series of events maybe go like, all right, mm. I guess so. Yeah, I guess. Exactly. I just I agree with you that she was, it was called back to that dream that he told her about. But yeah, it just, it's felt a little jarring in the context of that same evening. I thought she could have <laughs> held on to that one. But Otto instantly goes, aha, I'm in, I'm back in. We can make Aegon on the throne, which I didn't think it was off the table just because Allison was out on it. Maybe mm. I misunderstood the power dynamics of the Red Keep. 
But just because she's not supporting Aegon anymore, I don't think that would stop Otto from making a power grab here. And that was one of the things that was at play in this episode that I had a, a little trouble tracking. Where it was like exactly which one's in control here. It seemed like Otto, right? Y yeah, they were they were clearly plotting behind her back, Otto and several members of the small council, not the entire small council, notably. One guy, not One another. guy who is not in on it. I don't, I guess it's unclear if the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard is just present or if he's really part of the small council in this era, but he wasn't in on it either. He didn't seem like it. Also, Beesbury like was not in on it at all. Like, no, he seemed totally he was, shocked by the whole thing. He was definitely not in on it. Yeah, uh, for about 30 seconds. And I'm not even sure that Orwell was in on it. But <laughs> really took a ball to the head on that one. I do have to share with you that I've been, I have been drinking mead in honor of our Lord of Bees. Oh, it's not, you're not <laughs> drinking the favorite drink of the fandom at this point? The, what is it? The Negroni the, with the Prosecco? Negroni? Yeah. Negroni Spagliato. That's it. Stunning. Stunning. I had that last night, actually. Was it any good? It was good if you like bitters. Yes. No, that was bad. Campari. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed it. Yoke Boy. Judging by his glass, not as much as I did. <laughs> I had a go. I'm not a big drinker, so yeah, I tried it. It's very fashionable at the moment, isn't it? But yeah, Lady Gwyn's got the mead. I've got a cup of tea. Very British of you. Super chats, San Rixian, $2, Yoked Boy, you've, you're partied. Not sure what that one you're means. You're partied? Oh, it's... <laughs> Is that a Dungeons & Dragons thing? It's a game we play. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. $10 from the Happy Masquerader. Generally unclear on where Harold Rest Westerling went. We're going to get to that one. They yeah. straight up retire. He walks out, never pops back. They named Kristen Cole Lord Commander without even mentioning him. Yeah, good question. Definitely going to get that one. Thank mm -hmm. you for the $10. So we go to the Green Council. And I thought it was weird. Did you I have a theory. I have a theory. Do you think that Jason and Thailand switch places sometimes? Because that seemed like Jason. Because Tylen's a much more serious person. And Tylen's like, oh, what couldn't wait another hour? And then he did the thing where he like shuffled away and then shuffled back awkwardly. I'm like, that sounds like Jason Lannister to me, not Tylen. <laughs> did they parent swap this or parent trap it? A parent trap. Yeah. But some, it's sometimes one of them the Lord of Cash of the Rock and is sometimes one of them on the small council just for funsies. Maybe. Maybe they take turns just, yeah, just they to make it fair. They could. <laughs> they could. I don't know. It was weird because it, it def Thailand in the previous episodes, he also got dunked on in the previous one by Beesbury. The one about like, why would the, the, Thailand said Lucerus isn't fit to be Lord of the Tides? And Beesbury's like, what does that matter? And Thailand's like, jaw dropped. What do I say to that? I'm like, that sounds like Jason again. He's <laughs> just that dumb. Maybe they just do it just for, you said just for fun. Or just for funsies. It happened to be the wrong time for it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe sometimes Thailand is needed at Casterly Rock because Jason is an imbecile <laughs> and he has to go home to take care of things. And Jason, yes, to fix fix Casterly Rock, then come back and He's fix things. Like running again, running back and forth across the country, <laughs> making it all right. I would that would be amazing. I hope that Jefferson Hall reveals that, like, or at certain scenes, he just decides to be Jason. He's just like, yeah, I'm just gonna channel Jason. This will be Jason this time. Another super chat, Emily, your co-host, $5, a bunch of bees, and then $10 from Sam Klontz. None of the curses of Kinslayer. I'm sure this is what Rainius is thinking. Things will be mentioned next episode of Pride Contacts. Actually, there's a, there's already an epi, a interview that came out from Shanti Collins, and they interviewed Eve Best ahead of this, and she totally explains what she was thinking, so we don't even have to speculate. When we get to that mm -hmm. point, I'm just going to read it, and then we're all going to know. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. So what did you guys make of the Great Council and Viserys, I mean, Green Council and Viserys the Peaceful? 
Yeah. I guess that's what he would have wanted to be known as. Not the good. Where is the peaceful? Yeah, I didn't know. Obviously, came out of nowhere. And uh, it's not wrong. I guess he was pretty peaceful. Like Viserys, Otto, just right then and there, he's like, I got it. I got the nickname ready to go. I wonder how long he's been sitting on that one. He's been holding on to that for decades. (laughs) Somewhere in his office, he has like a list of epithets just scrawled out. He's just like crosses Mm -hmm. them out as he goes. It's like, how far can I go about insulting him without making it clear that I'm doing it? Viserys the pushover, Viserys the coward, Viserys the I own him, all this other kind of stuff. Yeah. He's not going to seem very peaceful in a couple of weeks, is it? Yeah, that, Mm -hmm. ooh. They also wrapped him up to be burned alive, or burned dead, not burned alive. That one's going to be interesting. I didn't, the plot point that they introduced here, and I think is the key point of the episode, is they introduced a difference between Allison and the rest of the small council, that she and Beesbury have been held out of all these plans for when Aegon makes his way to the Iron Throne when Viserys eventually dies. Yeah. I understand that's the conflict they wanted. What do you make of that, Yoke Boy? Yeah, no, I thought it was good. It's good to show factions within factions. I think that makes it a smarter show to show show that even within a faction, there's different disparate ways of behaving and thinking. So I thought it was good. And obviously it it put, you can see that Alicent really thought at the end of the last episode, she was hearing what she did. There's a couple of notes of sympathy for her, right? Mm. And it, you can look at Otto now, and he is like a villain. It Hold sort on. of separated those yeah. two a bit more. I just thought it was interesting that they made the choice. like They like slowly expanded their circle of conspiratorialness. Clearly, Orwell was in on it. Jasper Wilde, Thailand, Kristen, Otto. And they essentially said, like, I don't know about those other three. Although he seemed pretty certain that Harold Westering would go along with it. And clear mm. the thing was about Beesbury was that if I remember right, he was arguing against Rhaenyra pretty much the entire time. I was curious where that loyalty from him came mm. from. He did swear allegiance to her. True. And if you remember, he, he seemed like he liked Damon. Oh. Very early on. He was the one that was Good placing bets. He was placing bets in episode one. Oh, that's one right. That's at right. The he laid his bets on Damon over There you go. There it is. Goal, maybe? So, yeah. Payback for the bet. That's what happened there. (laughs) He was still placing his bets on Damon. And here we go. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There you go. That's a a great callback. Didn't even think of that one. Even through the mead, Lady Gwyn coming out with the zingers. (laughs) I have tea, too. Oh, there you go. (laughs) I thought it was actually a kind of a funny scene because they had Otto say the whole, we mourn Viserys, he was our friend. Anyway, down to business. Let's kill his daughter. We need to kill his brother. Everyone needs to go. And it was just like, (laughs) oh... That that was the least sincere like thing I've ever heard anybody say. <laughs> it was really our friend. I thought that I don't know, call me crazy, but isn't calling the late dead king our friend very disrespectful? Not the that wanting to kill his daughter and his brother and his five grandchildren isn't also disrespectful. <laughs> crazy on his part. Yeah, that was I wasn't sure about Beesbury's death. So the thing that kind of got me is that Kristen did it in a total rage, slams his head down, the ball goes through his temple, he's out of there, he dies. And I don't know, I was, I thought that Kristen's reaction to this was going to be a lot colder, that he had clearly for several decades built up this whole, Rainier needs to get out of here, he's intellectually convinced himself, and I... There's something about him killing him with the sword and slitting his throat, I think that's what he did in the book, that felt... Mm 
more respectful of Beesbury rather than just having his head slammed into mm-hmm. a table and accidentally murdering him. I'm not even sh- I mm-hmm. think Kristen was trying to kill him, but it wasn't like he he didn't do him the honor of taking out his sword, which was weird because then Harold Westerings put down your sword. I'm like, is it out? Is it? Yeah, he. I think it was. It was weird. And also, I don't like the fact that it left some doubt as to his intentions. Because mm, really Kristen clear Cole, in fire think, and blood. Yeah, I don't think he deserved that sort of ambiguity scene just annoyed me that he could get away with that maybe it was a decision because of the direction of the scene maybe getting his sword Mm -hmm. out and it Mm -hmm. might not have worked Mm -hmm. visually so maybe it was just one of those decisions they had to go with because Mm -hmm. it was just easier to direct it that way but yeah it was quite sudden and like you say it didn't look as if he meant to do it at first. I was like, yeah, well, he slammed his head down. Like, and then had Orwell poke him to make sure. I'm yeah, like, like, really, Dad? And then when he <laughs> said, we sh- could we just move Lord Beesbury? And they're like, no, he has to stay here. I he get, has I to get, stay here. For what? Everybody's already <laughs> in on it. <laughs> eyes wide open, staring at Yeah, he, he's the Beesbury in the room. They just <laughs> carry on talking. A Holy great moly. speech out of him, though. Highlighted the episode. He really... That was the kind of thing that you'd expect to hear out of someone like Ned Stark. Like Beesbury, it, he mm. decided to na- how, say how old he was, like 67 or something like that. And he just totally stepped up and said how he believes that this is wrong, that they're stealing. And he names it for what it is. I'm like, all right, good job. Slam. You're out of here. Get out. Yeah. But and of, of course, in the book, it talks about him being the first blood. So that's really significant, something that you might not think of if you're just a show watcher. That is the first blood of what comes next, the Dance of the Dragons. So what do you guys make about No Laris here? He was a big part of the Green Council on Fire and Blood. Obviously, mm-hmm. he hasn't been made the official master of Whispers, but I was curious mm-hmm. if he would they would upgrade him for this one. Yeah, because in Fire and Blood, it, he was the one that suggested that they do this blood oath. The blood, yeah, you they know, slash they, their hands they, and they swear on hands it. And, except for the queen. Yeah, no one except her. I guess he they gave him something else to do in the episode. I was just, I don't know. Yeah, he's still caught, he's still the king's confessor, but I guess that's he hasn't quite reached uh, small council level. He's not good enough to be on the small council these days. I guess you don't really need to when Otto Hightower's doing it for everybody so i guess that makes it kind of sense i don't know i thought mm-hmm. it would have been interesting if laris just happened to be there or something like that would allison want him to be in the small council no she wants him as far away as possible <laughs> the beast beneath the boards yeah. as it were yeah yeah about that one <laughs> about oh, that two more super chats pound 79 from george episode 10, episode 10 trailer think we're going to see cannibal i haven't seen the trailer yet excited about that Thank you mm-hmm. so much for that. And Morally, $20 is a show of love and support. As always, thank you so much, Mora. I thought Harold Westerling was by far the most interesting wrinkle to this whole thing because they've had Graham McTavish, McTavish on the show this whole time, and he's basically been little more than a glorified extra. And I guess it was for this scene, perhaps, that mm. they decided not to kill him and that they're, me and Robert were talking about it, that maybe they're, what they're going to do now is they're going to merge him with Stefan Darkling. And mm. he's going to... He throws down his gold, his his cloak. He tells Kristen to put mm-hmm. down his sword as Lord Commander, which Kristen doesn't listen to. Allison has to tell him to, no, there is no offense. There's no reason to kill this guy, Kristen. Don't go full psycho like you did on Beesbury. But uh, yeah, as Happy Masquerader pointed out, yeah, he just walks out of the episode and we don't see him again. I thought like he, we didn't even see him on a boat. We don't know where he went. He just barristan his way out of the episode. Yeah, I was going to say there's definitely yeah. shades of barristan if 
what's going to happen is what you've said. Yeah, but like you say, he's been in the background a lot, but he still has a lot of presence, doesn't yeah. he? Like in the last in the scene where Kristen Cole and Alison rush for Rainier after the eye incident, he only said a few words, but he had a lot of body language mm. and just a massive presence just for someone that's in the background. Uh, yeah, and it's like the same problem that they have with Lenor in the sense that you he should be dead already. They're keeping him alive for some reason, so it has to be an expanded role, unless this is it. That would be crazy if this was it. <laughs> Still a, a great performance by him, and he really saw the his concern and how he didn't like what he was hearing just from like subtle glances and the way that he completely cowed Kristen in that moment. Like Kristen, I don't know if he was actually going to go for it, but he was clearly like, I don't know if I can take this old man. And I thought that was a mm -hmm. great callback to Barristan in the sense that he holds out his sword as he's leaving and says, even now I could kill every one of you. And I think that's probably true in the show. At least Kristen doesn't believe he, he's at least unsure if he could kill his Lord Commander. Yeah. Yeah. He did seem a little uncertain. Also, I think, speaking of which, I think that Eric or I think it was Eric that he was fighting with. I think he got the better of him for a second. Yeah. Kristen dropped his sword. Then he picked it up and... You know. <laughs> kind of crazy things. I also, I wasn't sure what to make of this. It was Allison's mercy for Rhaenyra. And they questioned this later in the episode about what she, what is she doing this for? In this scene, she says it's for Viserys, that her husband would not want her, his children and grandchildren killed to put Aegon on the throne, which is a good mm -hmm. point. And Otto brings it up later and he's, I don't believe that. I think you're doing this because you still love Rhaenyra after everything that's happened between you. And Allison didn't really have anything to say back to that. She just stared at him. What'd you guys make of that? I thought, so what? I mean, what's wrong with that? They grew up together. What's wrong with having Emotions. An, attach yeah. an emotional yeah. attachment to someone that you were best friends with? Gosh, so. How terrible. Yeah, I, I don't know. Odd. What are you doing having emotional attachments to people, Allison? That's wrong. Duh. <laughs> They're all just pieces on a board. You should move and murder and sacrifice whenever you need to. Actually, a lot mm -hmm. of chess references in this episode. Which, Love that scene. Yeah. Which, specifically that. which I thought was interesting. Does chess exist in Westeros? I don't think so. I think it's just Savas. Yeah. Yeah. Where do they come up with all the chess references? It's <laughs> a good question. Good one there. And then after the Green Council, Allison actually threatens to send Jasper Wilde to the wall, which is good. Jasper Wilde sucks. Mm -hmm. Go to the wall. Mm -hmm. I like that. She's flexing her might on that one. Also, I got down Harold Westerling's final, his last line in the episode before he walks out. I am Lord Commander of the King's Guard. I recognize no authority but the King's. Until there is one, I have no place here. Out. Great job. Way to go, Graham McTavish. I'm glad they gave you a line. And finally, mm -hmm. let you perform it. Um, yeah, it's a good one. That was a pretty good one. Then we get to Helena. Okay. Helena continues to be the enigma of the show. They continue to use her to do really strange and interesting things. And I took down... She has a surprisingly intellectual line for what's going on here. She's just talking to her maid and her children. And she says... It is our fate, I think, to crave what is to, to crave what is given to another. If one possesses a thing, another will want to take it away. And this is just unprompted that Helene is just like philosophically speculating on the nature of the conflict between Rhaenyra and Aegon and Otto and what's going on between them. I was like, they are doing interesting things with this character. Yeah, she speaks with a clarity. Clarity of a scene. And, yeah. and in universe, no one's really listening to her. And that, that's the irony. That's a sort of 
in A Song of Ice and Fire, they do this with like Patchface and Fools when no one's listening, but uh, Patchface has this great wisdom, but the irony is no one picks up on oh. you know, you know, the nuggets of truth that he's prophesying. So That's yeah. true. That's true. And the, the, I almost <clears throat> wonder if this one is prophetic. If she, she asks what happened, but she's commenting on what just happened as well, like her character yeah. is. And I've wondered about how much she really knows about what her dreams really are. Because it's, again, it's this very insightful thing she said, but then she also has to be told that Viserys is dead. It's, it, I think you could just take it as she's just idly thinking about philosophy, which is a very good thing for her. And I think that goes against a, a lot of the characters in universe that have basically been ignoring her, like you guys were saying. It's, boy, if only somebody listened to Helena, not just about her dreams, but just like life, this would really yeah. help. Yeah, especially, and obviously we're not going to get this scene now, but Viserys, what did Viserys make of Helena? Nothing. That's really intriguing because surely mm. he would have loved to tune into her prophetic insight mm -hmm. so on. Maybe. He doesn't seem to have made much of any of Alison's children. I don't think he even knows that there were four of them. <laughs> Nobody remembers Daron. Daron's Poor just, Daron. He's just off in Old Town. I'm glad George clarified that one, that these kids are just going to show up whenever they do. And speaking of, two surprise kids. Looks to be mm. Jahara and Jaharis. I'm guessing that's yeah. who those were. No sign mm -hmm. of Maylor. I'm not sure mm. if he exists. If he would, he'd I be very young. At the beginning of that scene, I thought there were three kids on the floor. Oh. But then the nursemaid... I, I thought so, and then they showed her kind of hustling... I would have the missed two kids away. If there was, I totally so, missed that. I, I don't know. I, I haven't had time to rewatch. Chat, what start. do you think? Yeah. Was there three kids? If anyone else has, yeah. Also, I'm sorry. Super chat from Alistar3900. I love that all through the season, every time we see Beesburg, he's always interrupted. This one time he gets to finish saying his mind. And then his mind is out on the table. Sorry about that one. He's tea. Cut it off his chest. <laughs> kind of pulled it right out of the gray matter there. Oh, I forgot. If we get to 200 likes, I'll put on a silly hat. There you guys go. I forgot to say that one. But again, I think the one thing that is fascinating, they've gone to her to figure out where Aegon is. Aegon's gone. Mm. He's just like Jason borned his way out of the castle, apparently. But as they're talking, Helena, once again, in response to Alicent, like really says, there is a beast beneath the board. So this is the prophecy she said in the last episode. Mm. And now she's angry. So this is this last episode was the night before. So over the course of these two days, she is really focusing on this idea and it's really troubling her. What do you guys think she's talking about? Was it something in this episode or something to come? Having not having just seen the episode, I really ha just haven't thought about it. But mm. yeah, I'm definitely open to suggestions and theories. Mm. And I think that it's great that they have put this element that we see in the books, the mm. prophecies, and everyone's trying to puzzle it out. I just love mm. hearing everyone's speculation. So yeah, I'm all ears. Yeah, I think to go out on a limb, it's a. I think it's a substantial limb, especially there she is in her chamber with her children. I think that they're, it's got to be blood and cheese. Yeah. Was a beast. Yeah. I see someone in the chat. There was a dragon under the floor. Yeah. Was it that? Was that all it was? All. That was obviously. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Did she know Maylis was going to jump through the floor? Although, because she's a dragon dreamer, she wouldn't really know what that meant. It could be when to jump ahead a little bit, but we'll jump back. She does look extremely concerned while she's in the dragon pit. She has this very serious look on her face. And it's not mm -hmm. just because 
Aegon's getting crowned. She's looking around and staring and almost looks like she's watching Rainey's for a second when she mm-hmm. darts off. I was wondering if while she was up there, she was putting it together. Oh, are we about to die? Or if this is this what it meant? The other one is obviously beneath the boards being blood and cheese. Also, Laris continues to be a very antagonistic figure in the show. Makes sense. There's been some theories in the last, <laughs> since the show started. And uh, I had speculated about this previously. And so many people, if Laris is behind blood and cheese. If, if he is literally, if that's what she's talking about. Although, to counteract what I just said, her first two prophecies had nothing to do with blood and cheese. So it should be coming up soon, but it doesn't mean that's all she talks about. But surely it's bothering her. So I think that would put it in the, that's what she's talking about camp. But yeah. I don't know. A little curious. Yeah. They continue. N- n- oh, now Lady Gwyn said that, I do remember the camera seemed to center on her when the dragon, ca- when Maylis came up. Did, is mm-hmm. that my imagination or...? Yeah, definitely. And and now the first thing Allison said was get Helena. She they specifically drew attention to her being there mm. in the dialogue. So Strange. I don't know. They showed her curtsying and all that stuff. Oh, we find out. So Eamon walks in out of nowhere, and then we see Otto sending out the Cargyles to go find Aegon out in the city, and becomes a great race to find him wherever he is in King's Landing. I didn't know what to make of this plot because I didn't understand. And maybe you guys have better insight than I do. Why does control of Aegon mean that Rhaenyra lives or dies? It's not up to him, is it? Otto, well, I guess he could still order assassins, whether or not Allison agrees. I guess she must feel like she can control. That's yeah. yeah. I think he. Yeah. I think as a human being, Aegon is suggestible, controllable. He doesn't seem to have much of a will one way or the other, and he had a very strong will to actually not be king, the way they portrayed it. So I, she must just have felt that she could convince him. It was definitely certainly seemed to be what she was talking about yeah. in the wheelhouse and all that. Yeah, the episode definitely made it clear that for some reason control of him meant control of Rhaenyra's fate. I was, I just wasn't clear why. Mm. It's a fight between yeah. her and Otto. I don't think, and they're both trying to crown him. The only difference is what happens to Rhaenyra. Not quite sure on that one. But it did give us some interesting look into the lower city and the weird chase mm-hmm. throughout it and all that stuff that happened. So it's not like I didn't hate it. I was just like, okay, I guess that's the setup for why we're going to do this and going to see all the things that Aegon does that is terrible. That was the more important mm-hmm. part. Yeah, for sure. I think we were a little like, also, <laughs> like, why are they fighting? But what what's happening? It was just, <laughs> it was a bit weird out of the blue. But yeah, I think it was important to show Eric and Eric. Yeah. The, the beginnings of a split between yeah. them two. Like I said, there's got to be factions within factions, and here's the twin brothers trying to figure themselves out, and they're not quite seeing eye to eye. I think it was important to d- display that. Give them some time alone to talk about why they are in this conundrum, why they, because we don't know them at all. They showed up briefly in the last episode. We know that they're identical twins, and that's kind of it. So clearly they're setting up what's going to happen, what happened in the books. And I guess they felt like, they had to give them alone time, more or less, to talk this out, which I actually didn't, I did appreciate. I thought it was interesting that how Aegon gets away. Otto's like, where did he go? And he said, he explodes his authority to send me away, then evades me. And then he says, I believe he may have left the keep secretly. So Eric does know where Aegon goes. He's like forced by his, by a, his interpretation of his orders to pretend that he doesn't, which is <laughs> a bratty thing for Aegon to do. Go stand in the corner, turn around wait five minutes, then he can turn around again. And then that time he slipped yeah. out of the castle. Weird. <laughs> That's how they took it. That um, is it. Yeah. Yeah. They're like robots. Just yeah. 
Yeah. And then we continue <laughs> the don't tell the queen thing, bring him to me and me alone. Okay. So I guess establishing that somehow Aegon is key to who will win the coronation. That definitely is something that comes up. They do have their little fight. And then we get to Rainies being locked into her room. <laughs> See all the courtiers being sent out to dungeons. I thought when I was w watching this again, I was thinking about it and I was like, boy, it is lucky that Rhaenyra and her sons did not stay the night. They probably would have been killed mm. already. Yeah. Killed in their sleep. Just daggers, like Otto setting out his daggers in the night, slitting all their throats and being done with it. Ironically um, saved yeah. their lives. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Whoever put I, that pig down last week was, really changed everything. <laughs> say that from that perspective, Eamon actually. Eamon saves. Slime. Ah, or the servant with the pig. That's even better. <laughs> Oh, that the crazy Very coincidences. There are so many instances. placement, yeah. So many instances <laughs> here when Aemond almost became king, and they just keep evading him at the last second. Oh, boy. And even if Rhaenyra didn't go, like, Rhaenyra could have sent the kids away and her stayed. They definitely would have thrown her in the black cells instantly. Mm -hmm. Surprising they didn't do that to Rhaenys, but uh, we understand why later, because Alicent is, for some reason, now trying to get her to switch sides again. It's like, okay. Yeah. I don't know. She must think that Rainey's will do it to save her own family, or I don't know. Just threaten her with the black cells, I guess. I, yeah, it just seemed. It just. I thought you don't. You clearly don't know that much about Rainey's Targaryen. If this is what you think is going to convince her to. I like the co the commentary on Alicent's trying to be diplomatic and win the war with you and. Otto is being cut through and there's two things going on and it's interesting to see which one is more successful, which one's more potent in, in, in the moment. I have to imagine that Otto may have ordered her killed. I wonder if Alicent saved her because they seem to be splitting the servants, but depending on who's listening to who. Like Otto says, go kill Rainies. Alicent says, stop them, just lock it. Don't let them get, don't let anybody inside. That kind of thing. That would have been a good one to see too. It was really, yeah, it was just the fight between father and daughter. Then we get the scene into Allison's room. Kristen shows up. He knows Aegon is in the castle. He also knows that the Cargyles have been sent out to go find Aegon already, which was surprisingly good info from Kristen. I guess he was just sort of standing there watching, lurking around the shoulders, like little, like around the corner, like little finger in Winterfell, just like spying on the Cargyles and seeing where Otto is going. The thing that I thought was interesting about this one is Aemon deciding that he needs to go find Aegon because we find mm. out in a few minutes that he actually doesn't really know where Aegon goes at all, but he needs to go find him first. Mm. And it was knowing what we see him do later in the episode. And I think that he was toying with here if he could find Aegon, if he could kill him and tr which yeah. doesn't really make, it doesn't make a ton of sense because Jahara and Jaharis already exist. So he's not second in line to the throne, but I guess if he's considering killing his brother, maybe he's considering killing his nephews too. He seems to think he's second in line. He says he is second in line. So he's obviously either forgotten about them or already <laughs> written them off or the one anyways, Jaharis. Yeah. Or he thinks that Otto and co will go with him just because he's grown. Because he's an adult. Yeah. Uh, just default to him just because Boy he Lord, is in no. the position to yeah. be king. Zero thought of trying to help his brother in this moment, like a very sinister mm -hmm. look on his face. And he does his very, his walk out the door, his crime walk that he has yeah. he really leans into it. I thought there was he also does. a detail yeah. from the last episode 
that the director said that the actor for Aymond was very precise in his movements and was constantly asking for more feedback about how you should be acting, how you should be moving. So you have to mm-hmm. understand that when Aymond is doing his crime walk, it's not accident. That's not his normal stride. The actor is telling you that he's thinking of doing wrong in this moment. He's going to put the murder hoodie on. Oh my God. He's so Damon. He is so Damon. He is 10,000% Damon, has his own murder hoodie. Although his doesn't yeah. work because obviously everyone recognizes the patch. They're like, oh, look, it's Aemon One Eye. I'm very much incognito. No? Really? Not? <laughs> weird. Yeah. Can we talk about the weird interaction between Kristen and Allison in this? Scene? Yeah. She... I thought that was weird. It was not quite as weird as footies with Laris, but it's weird. Quite clear. It's a high bar, though. Yeah, there's a lot of weird Allison stuff going in this episode. Mm-hmm. So clearly she knows that Kristen is in love with her and that she uses mm-hmm. that to get him to do stuff. It had been speculated after episode... The episode on Driftmark, people were wondering if Kristen wasn't guarding the kids because he was in Allison's room, so to speak, if they had actually gone through with it. But I think they really shut the door in this episode on that one, that Allison is playing on his nightly virtue, whatever's left of it, in order to get him to do stuff. And then when they're down in the brothel, he says something like, women should be spoken of as the mother or something like that. So not a sexual relationship, but one that Allison is aware that Kristen mm-hmm. is 100% in love with her. Yeah. But when he was talking about Rhaenyra and he was using very offensive terms, now he's all of a sudden he's very pious as Allison has become more just so as he. So yeah, that didn't go unnoticed. No, he's like the worst kind of reformed. Yeah, born again kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. Interesting, though, that they place that in the same episode where Laris does basically the same thing back to her. Yeah. Where he uses the, uh, Laris uses her to get, you know, okay, so Allison uses Laris and has to trade a, a, some, like, affection of some kind, and she does the same thing back to Kristen. Although, by far, Laris is worse, much worse, but in concept, not that far apart. I guess I've spent several episodes wondering about the relationship of Allison in both of these two, because they're clearly, it's been weird for a long time, both of them, her and Laris and her and Kristen. And uh, tonight, I guess we got all the answers. Kristen worships her and Larry. They weren't answers we were expecting. Hey, Not the answers you wanted, but the answers we deserved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there we go. Then we go out into the city and Aegon's big idea is that Aemon's big idea is that Aegon's in a brothel. So he goes to the one brothel he knows. And this is where I started to get into the feeling. I'm like, I'd already thought this. I'm like, this is so Stannis that he knows one brothel in the city and that's where he's going because he doesn't mm-hmm. know anything about the lower city because he's such a he's such a good boy, always in the training yard and learning his histories and trying to be a psychopath, but he knows nothing about the true depths of Aegon's personality. So he tells the story of how Aegon on his 13th name day took him to the way he said this, it made me laugh imagining a Stannis trying to say this. He said, it's time to get it wet. I was like, Aegon, that's what you say to your 13 year old brother? Yeah, of course he does. Of course he did. Yeah, I don't think anyways. (laughs) Stannis would be (laughs) as uncomfortable saying that line as he was. Uh, Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities between Aemon and Stannis. The thing I actually found interesting about this, we learned two things at the brothel. Number one, we learned that Aegon is basically not allowed there anymore. He's not welcome. And he has mm-hmm. to go further into the city, deeper into the depths of depravity to find whatever it is he's actually after, which we don't really know. We've hinted that he has a love of blood sport, but 
kind of strange what's going on there. I think that one's just left for our imagination. Whatever you can imagine Aegon does that's worse than what we saw he's doing it, basically. But the other thing yeah. is that they clearly set up Alice Rivers here because the brothel owner is the woman that Aemon lost his virginity to. And she, as they're walking away, she goes to him and says, oh, you've grown up nice. And Eamon looks at her and then looks down and then makes a noise and walks away. And it's, oh, so they're setting up that he has a thing for older women. I'm sure this will come up again. I didn't know we needed that set up. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Eamon, Eamon One-Eye yeah. into MILFs, apparently. That's and did you notice that they said that the children in the pits were having their teeth filed sharp, just yeah. like Rorge and Biter. Exactly. Biter's got sharpened teeth. So mm. that allows them to fight dogs and so on. So pretty dark stuff. <laughs> Very dark stuff. We also get the Iron Throne scene. This one, I wasn't sure what to make of this. It was like a Caswell heavy scene where Otto demands that everyone at court swear fealty to the to Aegon. A whole bunch of them do. Only two refuse and they're let off, presumably to be thrown into the black cells. And we just get a lot of Lord Caswell moments. He he swears to to Aegon, but clearly he, they're setting it up and Laris is watching him that he's going to attempt to do a runner out of the castle to go find somebody to tell Rhaenyra. Oh, so close. So close. It, I don't know. There's a lot of Caswell <laughs> in this episode. he could have made it. Caswell, he's the most recognizable lower profile lord because mm. he spoke to Rhaenyra twice, I think. On two occasions, you see him talking to her and you know that he's one of her supporters. And in Fire and Blood, he was the... he's. They say he's the first one to lose his head, so he's definitely the one. Plus, then, of course, his wife will be very important later on. Very big part of what happens in the war later. The one thing yeah. I couldn't catch is what the lady was of House Fell, who I think is from mm -hmm. the Erie? Is that where Fell's from? Fell is a... I think they were Crown... Crownlands? Or Stormland. I couldn't catch the other guy, the guy who stood up oh, and said, I'm no Oathbreaker. That, I couldn't figure out who was, he was. That was Merryweather. That was Merryweather? Okay. Yeah, that's Lord Merriweather. Fell is from the Stormlands. There you go. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that the guy from Peep Show was Lord Merriweather. Oh, that's right. What's her name? <laughs> Sophie's father. Sophie's yes. dad. <laughs> there it is. Of I'm course. Glad you're a fan. <laughs> I love Peep Show. It's one of my favorite shows. Great. Yeah, I watch true. a lot of British comedies and stuff like that. So we were I, like, oh my god, Peep Show. And then <laughs> I had to figure then I, you know how I figured out that it was Lord Merriweather? I looked up the actor in Peep Show. Oh found his name, then I backtracked to figure out who he was in house of the dragon yeah i i had this feeling watching him i was like i know him but i thought it was from somewhere earlier in the show that i couldn't remember yeah. and i was like did he like swear and did they name him like why do i know this guy thank you for mm -hmm. letting me know why it is it's from peep show yeah <laughs> i also thought it was interesting that clearly a bunch of those lords were old enough to have sworn to rhaenyra and almost all of them were like no nah, we're good screw our mm -hmm. oaths rather be alive yeah. Yep. No big deal. Much better to be. Yeah, alive. I'm not sure how much choice they had in that. <laughs> yeah, they didn't want to go to Lord Laris's hands to do whatever he was going to do to them. Clearly, he has a reputation and he was lurking in the background. So I'm thinking that was the implication. They're not scared of Otto. I think they're scared of Laris. Yeah. Which, yeah. fair. So then we, sure. we go to the pits as we were talking about. Yeah, Rorge and Biter, the nails and the teeth are filed. Apparently, Aegon spends all his time there. And in places like that, which was weird. We also get one of his workers or spies who basically tails the Cargyles, who I thought were funny that they were trying to be subtle, but then they're just like walking like fully in step, like exactly like knights and soldiers. And it's like clearly everyone recognized, oh, there's only two, there's the two Kingsguard knights. They both look identical and they walk like this. Oh, that's, that must be them. That's the two Cargyles. Okay. Fair and, 
And the thing that you guys, that you mentioned that I thought was most interesting is that we see who will be one of Aegon's bastards, but that mm -hmm. they also drop that there's multiple, that this is going to be a thing. And we know this is from Fire and Blood, but I'm wondering if there's going to be like just a, like a Robert Baratheon deluge of bastard children once we get back to King's Landing. Because mm -hmm. Eric clearly knows about a lot of them. Yeah, they could have a purge and then the one that survives. What it, Maybe Myceria protects the one that survives somehow. I assume it's the one that they showed. Yeah. Not sure but, about Myceria you know, protecting them. I'm not sure what she's going to be up for at this point, but if she's uh, alive. Yeah. I don't know. If she what is. do you guys what do you guys make of that? I don't, uh, I don't know. Yo boy, is Myceria alive? There is no body. I I will, I'd not thought of how her not being alive. So I was assuming <laughs> that she she was alive, but her place would have been torched. But yeah, no, I could be wrong. Now you say that, I guess. No, I think that she's probably got more story to tell because she was a character. Mm. There just seemed to be more to her than... I, I didn't feel like they, it was the end of her story. No, I think I would assume that she out Laris Laris. She's got spies everywhere. Just because they start talking about taking out the web doesn't mean that there isn't one of the web listening as they're talking about taking out the web. Also, so, all his guys I, wear fireflies. You see a, a firefly come and just run and hide or yeah, kill him. Exactly. <laughs> Sending out the fireflies to light another fire. Maybe not exactly subtle. So Not sure about that one. I think it would be interesting if Laris becomes the white worm from now on. And he basically just plays everybody against each other the rest of the dance. Yeah. yeah like he just assumes the identity. That would be an interesting twist. But I agree that I would be disappointed if they killed her at this point and she's really gone. Yeah. Especially yeah, after this cool episode for her. Yeah, um, there's so much for her to do. But I like what they're doing with her. I don't know. Whatever her motivations are. Keeping us guessing, really. Yeah. <laughs> Protecting the people, I, apparently. Yeah. I think the directors and writers would have got some joy in showing uh, showing some more people burning <laughs> for the fact that they didn't. Yeah, that's true. It's the old no body, not dead. Yeah. The, the rules of Game of Thrones. Very that sus. Is, that is I, meeting sus. I also thought, as, as you guys mentioned, they did set up the Cargyles having a disputed opinion. I had trouble telling them apart, obviously. I think everyone did. I think mm -hmm. it was... Eric, that was saying that they should defect to Rhaenyra and Arik didn't, and Eric because he knows Aegon. Is that the right read, or is it the other way around? The other way around, but I, I was. I'll just say that I think you're meant to be really confused about it, and I'm happy just to be confused and say <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's like the kettle blacks. Like, yeah. All right. I'll just accept that it's confusing. One of them isn't in on it. One of them is. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Fine. Cool. A good argument, though, that they bring up that Aegon isn't fit to be king, that he's a terrible person. And the mm. argument back is he's a guy, so he should. And it was I, the heart of the Green Council. And what's going to go going forward is that nobody believes in Aegon, not even Aegon. Everybody just, he's just a placeholder. He is just a head to put a crown on. Nobody likes him as a person. Nobody thinks he should or could do the job effectively, which is in this <clears throat> crazy children fighting pit, two twin brothers bringing up. It's like, yeah, good point, guys. You have nailed yeah. down the dance. Yeah. Otto's figurehead, but they're just proving it doesn't really, whoever it is, the person doesn't matter. It's just a symbol for power, isn't it? That's but definitely in the red key. Also, like thinking about, you can imagine Eric being like, what is his life going to be like if now that he's going to be crowned? That was restrained Aegon. How, what is, what kind of debauchery is coming from that? People are worried about Damon getting to the throne and they later call Magor with teats and stuff like that. So I like, neither of them are seemingly as depraved as Aegon is on day to day level. He is a horrifying person. Yeah, already. And he's so young. But the last two episodes, we've seen really 
dark side to him and we're just getting to really know him and that's how he's being characterized there isn't much other characterization going on <laughs> i was talking about this with robert and i noted that most of the greens they put a lot of effort into humanizing them but there's two that they didn't Aegon and otto they want you mm. to know that these guys are the worst there's no redeeming qualities their motivations mm. are horrifying like even Eamon, like obviously we all know what happens to Eamon in the future, but they gave him the motivation in this episode that he really feels that Aegon would be a bad king and that he's been trying personally very hard to do his duty to his family, to the realm, to make sure that he's studying and being a good prince like Stannis. And if that's the core of his motivation, that's interesting. Aegon doesn't really have one. Aegon's just like, the world hates me. No, and even Otto, you can say it's a guy who wants power and there's something, even if it's not wholly relatable you can understand it but Aegon is just a sadist at this point isn't he G given what he was you know what in he's enjoying watching children tear each other up and stuff and I think you're also to get the implication that the bastards that he's been fathering probably on some very not old girls based on what they were doing in there this is probably he's after watching them fight like maybe he's like engaging in pedophilia too because the child was there in the fighting pit, the implication is the children are being bought and sold. Oh boy, they are really burying the needle on that one. Yeah, and so in the book, in Fire and Blood, he was found with a 12-year-old or something. Yeah. Yeah, or at least according to one, one of the sources, probably Mushroom, but yeah. Seems that Mushroom was right. Mushroom was right about some things. So. The really depraved stuff, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought the through point with Mysaria that we were talking about. So after the candles go up, Mysaria realizes Viserys is dead. So then she instantly kidnaps Aegon, which apparently wasn't hard because he was drunk, and then just hit him in the city and was waiting for who would ever come first to pay for him. A very sly move from Mysaria. It would be strange if someone that forward thinking then just got taken out by a firefly, but you never know. He was hidden in the sept? Yeah, like underneath one of the, the altars the altar. they kind of shoved them in there and you just went okay i'm in the altar yeah, yeah. <laughs> just lying there groaning okay <laughs> yeah oh um, i miss i miss a few super chats trevor coley ten dollars are you foreshadowing that aemon will intentionally sabotage or abandon aegon in the battle at rook's rest i think that's definitely on the table he is very disloyal to aegon he thinks he's a piece of shit and would probably slit his throat if he thought he could get away with it two dollars from san rixian nice shirt lady gwen saving melees for tuesday Yes. There you go. A lot of melees <laughs> in this one. A Sheba giving a thumbs up from Sugar Skulls, $2. Thank you, buddy. And Everyday Milo, $5. Allison called Princess Rainey's cousin. Was she overstepping in trying to be a Targ? Yeah, they're not cousins. Not even no. close. That was By a strange marriage. one. That was just her. Yeah, she's trying to capitalize on their connection by marriage and i i think trying to failed. ingratiate herself in a weird yeah. moment i wonder how often Aegon wakes up in an altar in the great sept because he just goes oh where's my sorry it's, does this happen to him often <laughs> yeah. is he constantly waking up in random places in king's landing and my sorry decides to kidnap him yeah <laughs> it did remind me of when yeah when she had damon in that one episode when he woke up in her house and she was like oh, oh yeah that's good true thing. good thing i'm looking out for you so apparently she just makes a career of <laughs> grabbing Targaryen princes off the street and stashing them away <laughs> until they sober up. But Apparently a good business. Weird, yeah. yeah. Just constantly kidnapping Damon and Aegon and throwing them in weird places. <laughs> but in the meantime, selling them out to Otto because of both, Every time. both yeah. she That's what she did. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. 
I got kidnapping princes. Good place. Then we get to Caswell. He gets sold out by Laris. Let the King's Justice take him. Oh, shucks. Another good person killed in Game of Thrones. There it goes. And But the part about this scene that was really interesting is that Otto says to Laris, you spent many hours with the Queen of late. And Laris retorts, there's no reason those hours in the end can't benefit you. What the hell is that about? Does he know what's going on? between the two of them? I said a couple episodes back, I was commenting that this whole, like, Alicent entertaining this man in her chambers by herself, very suspicious and could be, you know, she's making all this noise about Rhaenyra and so is Kristen Cole. And I think that was the episode when Kristen Cole was calling Rhaenyra the C word. But then here's Alison having this private dinner with an unmarried man who's not her husband. And that's frowned upon generally in that in that time space mm-hmm. of time yeah Otto's be like wonder i don't know if he knows if he's wondering if he's trying to figure it out perhaps doesn't know everything <laughs> no he, i don't think he knows everything but he might very well suspect or have reason to believe that there's something not quite above board going on. you say that and then he, at the end of the scene he rolls up his robe to show off a little bit of heel see what Lar- laris is into it, it is- I think what was going on there, and I think it works with what the Lair scene we're talking about that we giggled about for about five minutes, is that Eris's offer later is to kill Mysari and replace her. But it, he also notes that the head of the spy network reports to Otto. So I'm wondering if Larish took that as a threat. Mm. I know what you're up to. People are spying on you. So Larish is like, okay, no matter what Allison says about this weird offer I'm about to make to her. I have to make sure that I'm not under surveillance. I need to take over the spy network or else he might be in trouble too. It sounded like a weird kind of threat a little bit. Otherwise, I don't really know what the what it was doing. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to make of Laris. This episode it didn't really... He was all over the place. It didn't a lot of things for me. Uh, more questions. I remember when he came into more the questions. store and he, in the store in the hunting episode and he sat with... Uh, he sat with the ladies and had a biscuit, and I thought, oh, this guy is going to be a real character. I'm really looking forward to him. And <laughs> oh, is he ever? Every week now it gets worse. The way he ate the biscuit was... Totally entertaining, though. Yes. Yeah, it was. Not in a horrible way or anything. No. So then we get the scene with Alicent and Viserys' body. He gets wrapped up. He's going to be burned. She starts genuinely crying when she's on her own. So again, they're establishing that she does... These are not feelings of just like Cersei towards Robert. There is genuine affection between her and Viserys as he has died. But also, she places the crown on Viserys' body and takes the dagger. So this is, by Viserys, I'm now going to start a war. See you later. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for everything. It's like her uh, the, last moment of humanity. The crown was... We were talking about this in our last review. It's the crown of Jaehaerys the Conciliator, worn by Jaehaerys Viserys, apparently the Peaceful. And they obviously explicitly reject reconciliation, peace, mm-hmm. and the crown is there, probably meant to be burned with Viserys' body or something. Or I, Weird I choice. In, the, in Fire and Blood, they it was meant to go get put in the treasury, but I guess here they just left it sitting on the body. And who knows what will happen? To the crown. Harold Westerling snipes it and on his way out of the building. <laughs> yeah. Someone got a hold of it. That's a good idea. Just left it there. Then we go, then we get the big scene between Allison and Rainey's. And this sort of seems to be the key of the episode, less so the Green Council, but this conversation here where basically summarize it. Allison comes in, Rainey's puts it together right away that Viserys is dead. That's what's going on. And Allison makes this crazy offer to ally Driftmark 
with Aegon basically saying that your alliance with Rhaenyra hasn't gone that well, which is, it's more like her marriage with Coralise hasn't gone that well. That's more mm. the problem, his ambition. And allying mm. her with Aegon doesn't solve any of that. It's, no. she also goes, you should have been queen. I always thought that. But then her argument is, I think you should have been queen. But in the same scenario, I'm going with Aegon instead of Rhaenyra. Yeah. So even though I'm trying desperately to manipulate you, it's not really working because clearly you're going to make sense of how what I'm offering is completely different from what happened to you. And furthermore, Corlys isn't dead yet. Trying to capitalize on maybe Rhaenys feeling ambivalent about Corlys' long absence and like you said about his ambition and how all that stuff has affected their family. But he's not dead yet. So how could thing that Rhaenys does right in the here and now have any impact on what Driftmark does? What she's really after is her dragon. Right. And she said, she says as much. She says, I loved the fact that the first thing Rainey said, or one of the first things she says was, what about my dragon? After Sanrixian's heart. What have you done with my dragon? Very much of <laughs> it. Oh yeah, that's Where right. my dragons? <laughs> I thought it was Tyrannus' character that in this moment where she recognizes she's being manipulated, she then tries to turn it right back on Allison. And she like becomes the total devil on her shoulder. And she says, let's see here. What was it? Did I write this down? Maybe I didn't. Toil in service to men. You desire to not be free, but make a window in the wall of your prison. Have you never imagined yourself on the Iron Throne? It's wow, does she turn that around her on, on Allison? Yeah. Like massively turns her right against Otto. Yeah. Love you, Eve Best. I loved it. Yeah. And so poetic about the window in the prison. I thought that was a very well written line. A very sad one for Allison because she, she hears it and she doesn't have a retort. She just goes, yeah, you got me. Yeah. Yep. You're right. Totally nailed it. They also, I think they only triggered a whole bunch of angry Game of Thrones fans because she said, ring the bell when you have an answer. And there's a lot of bells ringing in this one with dragons. And I'm sure people are very upset to hear anything having to do with King's Landing and bells every time that they pop up. And actually, they reference that later in the episode. You wonder if Rhaenys is about to start burning shit down as the bells are tolling. Oh, yeah. they're just messing with us so hard. Love mm-hmm. it. Oh, God, if only she had. <laughs> yeah, if only she had. Let's try and go through these. The Cargyles make the deal with Mysaria's agent, basically, but Otto has to come personally do it. And the deal ends up being, I will give you, Otto, I will give you for a pile of gold and also a promise that you will end the savage use of children mm-hmm. in Flea Bottom, which he said, I'll look into it. You have my word. His word is garbage. Like, this is never going to happen. But also, clearly, Otto never knew who Mysaria was. He says, you're, my, you're the white worm. He's totally confused by this. And there have been suggestions in the, in previous episodes. It's like where people were like, ah, does he really know? Oh, hang on a second. I have to put on a silly hat. <laughs> ah, there we go. Silly hat engaged. Thanks, guys, for slamming the like button. I don't know. Would you make that one, Yoke Boy? Yeah. Does that prove that the White Worm's been, been an effective whisperer or a trader in information? Is that Does that speak positively to her ability to control things behind the scenes? I guess so. She's made Otto look like a fool. Yeah. They've exactly. seen each other face to face. He knows who Mysari is. He just has no idea who the White Worm is, which I think, yeah, goes to the point that did she really die in that fire? Because this is another example of her in the episode being shown to be quite effective at what she does. Yeah. And you know what? Now we're thinking of it. I'd be surprised if they took away someone with that sort of power out of the story, because I think it's a more interesting story with more than one of those type of characters 
trying to control things and they can have their own sort of war of information going on. I agree with that. I think that makes a lot of sense. I also like that they had Mysari, the only one that's like actually caring about the people. Alice, like Alice brings that up to Rhaenys. She's, it will spare the realm, say, spare the people and stuff like that, but not really. There's no way this coup is not going to kill a lot of people, no matter what. Like she said it outright. She said, even if we can convince Rhaenyra, Damon will never go along with this. He's going to start blasting. He's just going to show up and Caraxes everything he can. So Mysari are really the only one with the that cares what the people think, or at least has their well-being at, at her heart. Yeah, e- even if there's a level of insincerity, at least it's at least Mysari is showing some level of concern of thinking of the the small folk and so on, which you almost never see among the High Lords. Although Otto did take that to heart because he ordered everyone to the Dragon Pit to see the crowning, so he's I guess they matter like slightly <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Then we get to the the great setup scene. Aegon, I loved everything about this because as soon as he realizes what's going on, he just tries to run. He's, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be king. I have no taste for it. I have no sense of duty. I am the worst king in the world. Just let me go. And one's just like saying, no, Aegon, we have to crown you. As he's like doing everything he can to stop it. Never seen anything like it. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like literally runs. Runs to... Honestly, that's why Eamon was there, because if Eamon wasn't there, he probably would have gotten away, and God knows what would have happened. Ended uh, up in Yeti. What a yeah. life it would have been for him in the Golden Empire. But wasn't it interesting that he proposed doing the same thing that Kristen Cole proposed to Rhaenyra, and she rejected, and yeah. then they proposed to Lenor and he embraced, and now Aegon's like, I could do this. I could run away and live in Essos. No one would know me. Leave my dragon? Yeah, sure. Why not? I just... <laughs> Get me out of here. I hate it here. I want to go. Somewhere where there, where there is booze and sex workers and I'm happy. Clearly, Leon just hates himself like, on like yeah. a very deep level. Yeah. And they also, the line that was really funny was, where's the white worm? So he knows who did this. Yeah. And the car guy will say, she sold you for a price. And he goes, why have you paid it? So it's not that he's stupid. He, yeah. he understands what's happening here. Also, again, as he said, it probably happens to him all the time. Kristen showing amazing foresight. He's been tailing the Cargyle twins since they saw them meeting with Mysaria. They jump out, they have a little fight, and I think it's Arik that fights Kristen for Aegon, if, if I'm right here. Because Eric is the one that, I, whichever one was explaining. Eric, Eric is the one who's Aegon's. His, yeah, his sworn shield. Sworn shield, yeah. I should probably yes. remember from Fire and Blood which one goes where because it would make more sense. Eric is the one that left. He okay. kind of just did a little. He was standing up on the balcony and took off. Does not help so. his brother. Kristen beats him up. Yeah. Takes both his swords. I have no wish to rule. No no taste for duty. I'm not suited. I will find a ship and sail away, never to be found. And you can, I think the most interesting part of the scene is that Amond is clearly considering it. And. If Kristen did not walk up right then and say, we're taking you to the queen, I'm pretty sure he would have shoved Aegon down an alley and say, we couldn't find him. Or if there were, if he wasn't literally in front of a sept, I think Aemon probably would have gutted his brother on the spot and just said, oh, my Saria killed him. What can we do? Kid's gone. I guess I'm king now. He's definitely that level of ambition. And we can sense, although we haven't seen much of his character since he lost an eye, we can sense that he has a cutthroat nature for sure. He wants so yeah, to, you're yeah. probably right. I was thinking maybe he would have a whisper in his brother's ear, just disappear, go on, go to the docks, get on a ship. But I figured you, out you're why, probably right. <laughs> I figured out why we're confused Okay. by consulting the Google. In 
House of the Dragon, Eric is Aegon's sworn shield, but in Fire and Blood, Eric is Rhaenyra's sworn shield. That would explain it. Oh, God, it's I confusing. don't know um, why they've changed that, but that's according to the Game of Thrones wiki. I just found it was really interesting in this episode that everybody had a chance to kill Aegon in this episode and nobody went through with it. It's like his entire ascension to the throne is like a series of mistakes or yeah. people showing humanity in moments when they know that they shouldn't, which I think is interesting when you contrast that towards Allison and Otto, where she's like, we can't kill Rhaenyra, but everyone wants to kill Aegon, including Aegon, it seems, and it just can't mm -hmm. happen. I, and I mm -hmm. wonder if how if this affects Aemon quite deeply later that he views this moment as a mistake of mercy and weakness. If he internalizes, like, I was two sword strokes, take out Kristen, take out Aegon, I'm king. It would make a lot of sense. Certainly, he pays that price to be king. Yep. His brother's peach yep. and all that. Yeah, definitely. But if you're going to wonder about that, I'm going to wonder why Rhaenys and Maelys didn't just take the whole lot of them out when they oh my God. very much had them in the one out second. Out of the sights, right there. Oh. It would have all been over, but I guess what was the implication of that? Yeah. I know that's not what was going to happen, but I, you better believe that I was... No season two is the biggest implication. <laughs> Show ends, yeah. scroll to no. credits. The Dance right of the Dragons there. averted. Episode 10 is just Rhaenyra sitting on the throne. <laughs> just everything goes great from then on. Why did it happen? Yeah. Happy um, ending. I don't know. Yeah. So it was an interesting scene, though, that one right there. Definitely an interesting we scene. We're going to get to that one. Then we get the Otto and Allison scene before the other scene. So basically, they end the conflict of the fight for Aegon. Allison says, I have Aegon, I won. Otto's like, okay, I guess you have Aegon, therefore you won. That's the rules of these games. Otto basically makes the claim that he says, good for the family that our hearts is one and allison finally stands up to him and says our hearts were never one i was just a piece that you used and otto comes back and says but i promoted you from a pawn to a queen isn't that what you wanted in my chest reference and allison says how would i know i only did what you asked and i thought that was a really stunning indictment of otto in terms of how his performance as a father from the show that at mm. no point did he really think of his daughter as a person she's right she was just a piece to get to this day Right at the end of that scene, there's an interesting callback to episode two when he said to her, oh, you sometimes in a certain light, you really look like your mother. And she just snorts in disgust and walks away. But it was so much like the things he was saying to her in those first couple episodes and especially wear your mother's dress. Yeah. All that stuff while he was uh, pimping her out to the king, if I can say that. I just did. <laughs> that was <laughs> you sure did, Lady Gwen. You sure did say that. <laughs> also, that it was just only a few episodes ago that he was so proud of Allison for standing up for their family and willing to slash it to to defend themselves. And now he's just not like that. You stand up to everybody but Otto, the most important person in the room, standing up to the wrong person at the wrong time. And you can, on a sense, you like we've been talking about with Eamon and Aegon, you can see Otto's point. If they killed everybody now then there would be no war. And you can see that as th that's really the peace Allison wants, that her path will lead to widespread destruction. But what is her line? She says, it's not... Hang on, let me pull this. She said... Oh God, I went to the wrong one. It's reluctance to murder is not a weakness. And the show's kind of playing with that both ways, where they're clearly showing the off-roads. If people just commit the horrible murders, they can't... Either way, they could avert what's coming, and nobody's willing to. That's a tough mm -hmm. one. What is the value of a basher boy against a kingdom? That kind of thing. 
Yeah, it's, it's definitely playing to that thread from the main series where people are trying to justify atrocities by rationalizing it in that way. Definitely from the Stannis story. Yeah, and it's come up before. I can't remember what episode we were talking about that a, a couple of weeks ago. And Otto says it point blank in this yeah. episode. So. I hate agreeing with Otto in some way, but um, it is Allison's mercy that's a problem. But I don't. Damn you, George. Tough question. Mm -hmm. Mercy is never a mistake, Joe. Never? Oh, okay. So then we Thank get you, to man. the scene. Laris <laughs> and Allison in the chamber. Allison walks in. She sees Laris and says with disgust, the hour is late. And he comes back with, I found out something you should know. And quite clearly, this is not the first time this has happened. Allison knows what that means. Sits down and Laris says, have you ever asked yourself, have you asked yourself how your father the hand found Aegon first and basically he trades looking at her feet for information which is that's something I guess it's uh, it's a bit odd a, a little bit it's odd it fits with Laris as a character in that they established that with where he murdered his family already and then didn't seem to care about getting Hall. so clearly his motivations are a lot different than other people and his thought process work that way and it's I wonder if this goes back the entire way. If Alice, if his interest in Allison when she was a teenager, this entire time has been leading to the sort of entrapping her in this, I'm not even sure what to call it, this sort of bribery or mm -hmm. manipulation kind of scenario. Yeah. Is, is this what it was always going towards? I, yeah, some sort of power. I guess he found a way to get power and... It's just <laughs> it a strange, it's a strange <laughs> currency he's using. It is. It is with two normal, attractive feet, which he does not possess. Yeah. Oh. And he's obvious, if we can look very far ahead to his own death. Yeah. Uh, spoilers. When, spoilers. Wait, oh, can you say spoilers this far, Jay? Maybe. Well, his own death is, maybe, can we? He maybe. does die. Everyone, Everyone dies. He dies. I won't say yeah. when. He does hate his know. foot. I think it's fair to say he hates his club foot clear that he hates his foot whatever those circumstances they also focused are. on it the camera specifically zoomed in on the club fort as he went to go sit down we've never seen that on camera that i could recall no. I mean, you've seen him limping and dragging his leg but they've never been like look at the club foot and now let's look at these very attractive feminine puppies <laughs> so i was thinking about it earlier today because obviously i've been thinking about this for four days since i saw the screener i was just like okay let's break this down I th what it's about for him is that Laris is a character who hates having people have any power over him. He that's I'm guessing that was his problem with Harwin and and Lionel that it, they said in the website that basically Harwin was a fierce protector of Laris and Laris I'm guessing just became resentful of that towards mm -hmm. him and it became a real thing that he always he wants control and that's they're linking that mm -hmm. to his Lord Confessor thing that he really seems to have a lot of excitement that he gets to torture people and throw them into cells especially powerful people so I'm guessing this whole thing with Allison isn't really about the feat. It's that he makes the queen of the seven kingdoms do this for him, that he has the power to go through with it, I think. Yeah, yeah. degrading someone in power is probably the appeal to him. Like you say, having the power over someone who is very powerful puts him, must above her, feel yeah. extremely powerful within himself when he's able to do that. And then he makes it even worse that he forces the Queen of the Seven Kingdoms to sit in the same room with him as he 
jacks off to her feet. That is yeah. something no one else in the world can probably brag about. And he probably gets most of the satisfaction from that. Of that probably. Was that a Kristen Cole reference? Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, Kristen. If only he knew. Oh, God. His perfect <sighs> queen being degraded by Lara Strong. Uh, the mother. The incarnation of the mother herself. <laughs> With her perfect feet. Does he go into the sept and he touches the mother's feet or something like that? Just Lara's all about that life. Did they ever show? Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, it was the context behind it is also important. We talked about it, that he's basically offering to off Mysaria and become the master of whispers for the Red Keep for Allison, which is he's accepting her as the new power in King's Landing that after her stealing of Aegon, I guess that again makes her the one to back. But Laris has been backing her since she was a teenager. So this doesn't really change anything for him. It's just that he is now seizing on the opportunity to make himself useful and to, I'm wondering if he heard the conversation with Otto and if he knows that they are at a breaking point at this point and he knows this is when he can jump in and continue to climb the ladder of power, as it were. If, he's, if she's the power and he controls her. Make the facto king of the seven kingdoms, as it were. And Aegon's a shithead. He's not going to be able to do anything. Although maybe Laris and Aegon will have common interests. I have to say they're the, regardless of what the stimulant was, they are the only two people I've ever seen in Game of Thrones gauging in that behavior. <laughs> There's been lots of other sexual content, but I think specifically that. They are on. really burying the needle on that one. Yeah, of all the things on. they could have surprised us with, this was the most surprising. Could have chosen any real degradation kink, I guess. It doesn't really matter which one it is. It's just, okay. <laughs> It's weird that the, it's weird that they thought about it enough to link it to his club foot. Like they clearly yeah. they had a lot of like sessions going through this in the writers room and they're like, "All right, so we want to have him show have this weird power over Allison. How is he going to do it?" They probably workshopped a whole bunch of different like weird degradation kinks and then we're just like, "The foot. Of course, it's a foot it's fetish. Foot. Yeah, write that yeah. down. You got it." They must well, have really psychoanalyzed him. Clearly, well, yeah. Also, for her for the time period for a woman to show her bare feet mm. for a noble woman of any status showing your feet to anyone outside right. of your own family that's incredibly just not done it's very degrading very offensive and demeaning i wonder if that's the first feat we've seen in game of thrones probably of an adult female yeah breaking through the glass ceilings Lord. in their own way so that one is just, it was just like shock value. It was, a, otherwise it was a pretty nothing scene. It was just that he's going to go kill Mysaria. He mm -hmm. says he's going to his firefly walk away from her man. As we talked about, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure she's not dead. But then again, I thought that Allison poisoned Diana, the serving girl last episode, and she didn't. So what do I know? Maybe I'm seeing <laughs> murder in places or I'm misreading mm -hmm. things. That can definitely happen. So then we get to the final sequence and it starts off with, Eric Cargyle frees Rhaenys, but he's wearing his Kingsguard armor. I, that one was an interesting choice. Rhaenys, put on this cloak so nobody recognizes you, even though they're going to see the huge bump in your hair. And I'm going to wear my Kingsguard armor the entire time, which will let everyone know that you're someone important. But we're sneaking out of the city. All right, Eric, he's going to get her to the Blackwater again on a boat and escape. But she refuses because she doesn't want to leave without Melis. Most of this is like the second or third time it's come up this episode that she needs Melis has to come with her. It's not just important to her personally, but important to the war effort. If they kill Melis, that's a major blow to the Blacks' firepower, as it were. Yes. I love 
the moment when she's got swept up in the crowd mm. and she comes around a corner and you can't even see what she sees yet. You can see her face and you just know that it's the dragon pit. Yeah. <laughs> she just her face just lights up like <laughs> Oh good. This is where I wanted to go anyway. We happen yeah. to be going to the dragon pit. This is absolutely amazing. It couldn't <laughs> yeah. be worked out any better. Yeah. She sensed the opportunity with all the crowd going in. She's putting two and two together, thinking, yeah, this is going to give me the opportunity I need to get to Maylee's. As usual, Rainy schemes to be depicted as the smartest character in every room that she's in. Yeah. Manages to negotiate the crowd, get her way there. And we get the interesting <clears throat> carriage scene where it's Aegon and Allison, and he's trying to convince him. No, she's trying to convince him that your father definitely said you should be king. Like, he told me you have to believe it. And you see, I like this scene in particular because it calls back Rhaenyra's dialogue. She's basically saying, he's saying lines that she said earlier in the season about how my father never wanted me to be the next monarch. He ignores me. What does he care? He's had 20 years to do this, et cetera, et cetera. It's like somehow Viserys managed to ruin his relationship with both possible heirs at the same time. It's unbelievable. Incredibly bad parent parenting. Really just 10 out, like zero out of 100 on that one. That he managed to piss off both of them. Bad kinging, too. Yeah. Not good. Really, what is your job when you're the king? It's to make sure that you've ensured your succession. And he, I guess he made that last ditch effort on the final day of his life, but too little too late. Also totally didn't work because Aegon, after that whole speech, just went out to bottom to watch some kids tear each other apart got drunk and passed out and got kidnapped so message did not get through there no definitely not so i wonder if he enjoys being uh, kidnapped if it's like just a fun <laughs> where am i gonna show up today oh cool i'm in the street of silk today all right whoa i'm in the dragon pit that was fun oh, thanks my saria that should make the next couple of seasons very interesting for sure and i think the best line of it is that Aegon turns to Allison and says, do you love me? This is after she previously told him, you're no son of mine, slapped him, told me he's a piece of shit. And she just says, yeah. you're imbecile. Not no, just you're an idiot. Yes. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, very much not a yes. Not a yes. <laughs> the furthest thing from a yes possible. Like, it's, it's, oh. I think in some tones, you would hear that as, you imbecile, of course I do. But the mm. way that Olivia Cook delivered the line, I think it's just no... You dumb fuck. Of course I don't. I know who you are. <laughs> Everybody hates Aegon. Oh, I got two super chats I missed from Courtney Waters. Five and ten dollars. Thank you so much. Helena is significant every time she's on screen. Viserys expressed desire to be a dreamer to Alicent while pregnant with Helena. Now Helena swats Alicent away. Interesting. Yeah, there's definitely been antagonism between Helena and Alicent even since she was a baby. People noted, looking back on after her dragon dream reveal, that she was always crying when Alicent held her, and particularly mm -hmm. around windows. So maybe uh, little Helena has been getting dreams all her life and knows how mm -hmm. she's going to die. Which, yeah. spoiler, I guess. Everyone dies. Everyone dies. Or in a particularly mm -hmm. gruesome way. And the other one from Courtney Waters, if Daron shows up with brown hair next season, could they toy with us about his parentage? <laughs> if Viserys, Laris, or Kristen being Daron the Daring's real father, that would be a twist. Oh, Ooh. that would be a great twist. I would love it if they did that. The only reason, <laughs> the only son that's not Allison said he's the good one. Yeah. <laughs> not Viserys's, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, that would be pretty good. That would be great. A good twist. Uh, there's already people trying discussing if jace is actually harwin strong's son because they had it like the actor has naturally wavy hair like ryan core but they straightened it 
So it looks almost like Kristen's, like Fabian Frankel's. And it's like, oh, I wonder, did that moon tea not work for the first one? In a world of uh, fake babies, who knows? Yeah. I think they're strong boys. All three of them, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. It's too many layers. The onion is too <laughs> yeah. deep at that point. Oh, he thinks he's a Valarian, he's, but then he thinks he's a strong, but he's actually a coal. Too many uh, fake outs on that one, probably. That would be too cruel anyway. Yeah, that would hurt. And then we get to the last twins in the episode. All the peasants are shoved inside the dragon pit to see Aegon get crowned. They all are very confused what's going on. Otto gives a, again, a very awful speech. He says, today is the saddest of days. Our beloved king, the Saris the Peaceful, is dead. The crowd goes, eh, okay, bummer, I guess. They're not, they're not upset. They're not happy. They're saying, eh, whatever, he's dead. Like, why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> Like cool, but it's also the most joyous of days. For as his spirit left us, he whispered his final wish that his first son, firstborn son Aegon should succeed him. And then, without prompting, they actually start clapping. They're like, "Oh, yeah, cool, Aegon." Nobody likes Rhaenyra, which I guess that's true to Fire and Blood, but and also true to the puppet show that they showed us earlier. That there's not really a lot of respect for Rhaeny among the King's Landing folk. But I was wondering about this as I was watching. I'm like. Surely some of them know what Aegon does in his spare time. He's like always running around them. The people from Fleabottom must know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. What are they? This think? is all good groundwork for the Fleabottom spin-off show. There it is. Now you're thinking. <laughs> I like it. It's season four of House of the Dragon, all Fleabottom all the time. Which there's gonna completely they're gonna feast for crows it and throw all the characters off screen. We're gonna get a whole new ones. It's gonna become a cop drama on Fleabottom, investigating Aegon's crimes. Actually, that's what the moon of the Three Kings is, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> is it Three Kings? I always get that one wrong. I think it's three. Three yeah, Kings? Yeah, one on each hill. Okay. Yeah. They didn't. Uh, Warrior Girl in the chat, sa chat says they didn't clap at first. That's true. They didn't. But then they got pretty enthusiastic. Like, all right, cool. All right. I'm on board, like Aegon. Then they do their ridiculous, Man. impressive formation marching, which reminded me of Robin Hood men tights. Yeah. Especially when they threw up the swords. I I kept thinking somebody was going to screw it up. Like he was going to walk underneath them and hit his head on one and go Just down or something like that. Was, yeah. I didn't, I don't know. That's, that seemed irritated me. It, it you, seemed very out of period for this. Do you think they should have had someone shout Rhaenyra? Yes. Ooh, that would have been good. What about Rhaenyra? They did. Yeah. They did in Fire and Blood. They were shouting long live the queen. As soon as they said the king is dead in the streets, people were shouting long live the queen. Mm, show has changed that one. Apparently everyone's on board for Aegon, or at least within the dragon pit they are. And I guess they're they're confused. They don't really know. They're small folk. They don't know what's happening or what mm. the politics are. Or just, so, okay, if the hand of the king says now it's a king, and it's okay. They must have worked this out for themselves. I'm sure they don't know that the hand and the queen are going to are planning to kill the princess and her five children and her husband and maybe oh no they promised rainies that they wouldn't kill the girls but I, I, it also drives home the point that none of them know these people they really don't yeah. and I, it was an interesting way to juxtaposition that against all the ways they've been having Aegon basically kick the dog his way through these last few episodes every terrible thing they've showed him do every person he's hurt every awful action that has been implied or has been shown to us. And it's like, none of it matters. Mm -hmm. Like these people do not give a shit about that because they don't know it. It's mm -hmm. outside their pay grade. Yeah. Yeah. And they know even less than zero about Rhaenyra because she's not even there. Yeah. Hasn't been in years. Yeah. A little disheartening. Yeah. 
then we get to, let's see here. They dressed him in full Targaryen colors, the black. They got rid of the greens for this one. They also had him holding black fire. Otto says, it is a good fortune and privilege to witness this. A new day for our city, a new day for our realm, a new king to lead us. Allison, like, kisses him on the forehead with the least loving kiss on the forehead I think I've ever seen. Like, it was just like, I'm out of there. Great acting by Olivia Cook to look like bad acting. Really want to do this, but here yeah, we go. Oh, my son sucks. I'm crowning him anyway. Oh, this is a bad idea. <laughs> then we get the blessing with the magic oils. Cool, I guess that usually happens in Old Town, but I guess they're just doing it here. And while this is happening, Rainy slips away into the dragon pit below. I was actually super confused about this at first because I thought it was the sept. I didn't realize they were in the dragon pit until on a. I got corrected. <laughs> Someone's no, it was the dragon pit because I was like, how did she get there and come back so fast? She didn't. She just went underground. Yeah. Um, yep. No dragons anywhere, which I thought was a choice. And then we talked about this earlier that Helena seemed, she's very distraught during this entire thing. Now, I'm sure some of it is that she knows that Aegon is a piece of shit and a bad husband. And yep. that it's, she said basically that he abuses her when she gets drunk, when he gets drunk. So there is some level to that. But given her level of a dragon dreamer, I'm wondering if there's some kind of prophetic thing going on here that she knows that this is a horrifying moment for what's to come is she recognizing that some dream of her future is one step at a time coming true and it starts with aegon being crowned yeah yeah i would think that's true that she's seeing all the terrible things that are going to happen to her family unfold i think even without that just seeing someone that she knows Mm. full well to be an abusive person firsthand get all the power of the seven kingdoms even without the yeah. prophetic element, it's it would still be quite horrifying to see someone get even more power who mm-hmm. was already beyond any consequences and could do what he wants. Now he's he can do even more. No right. limits. Yeah. No limits. He can do yeah. whatever he wants. Presumably in the past, at least their parents or whatever could the grandfather could control him if they tried or wanted to, but yeah. not anymore. The other yeah. interesting thing that's going on the dais is that Eamon is refusing to he is he will not look at Aegon until the crown's put on his head. He is staring steadfastly out into the crowd. And then once the crown comes down, then he turns his head. And it's like he can't even bear to look at his brother getting it, being the crown that he wants. Another small but excellent acting moment from, I forget the guy's name. You, you and Mitchell. You and Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. Even when he's not the focus of the scene, clearly he knows what Aemon should be doing and he's pulling it off, even when he's out of focus. Yeah. Which was great. Um, yeah. Very good. But the, again, the crown starts, Laris, they also cut the Laris, and he's smiling during this whole thing, which again, I'm, you guys have probably been asked about a lot, the whole Laris Greenseer thing that I came up with, and wondering how, what his role is in on all of this. Is this like another step of his plan, if he is like thinking on that level, that he's happy that this is happening? Or I, I don't know what he's smiling at otherwise. Like, he probably knows Aegon's a terrible person. Why would he be happy to see him crowned? I guess that would give him more opportunities. Yeah, more people for the black cells. If a Stannis justice type of person came in, I don't think he'd be smiling. That's fair. No. Yeah. Yeah. It may be just having more power. Having that power over Alicent is certainly going to... Oh, that's true. Yeah, this is closer Mm -hmm. to him having further control over the realm, assuming Aegon goes along with it. Yeah. Presumably, she's the one that seemed to be in control, at least in that. Mm. Prior to the coronation, she was in control of Aegon, so... I guess that puts Laris a little bit closer to being in control of more feet everything. picks for him. More feet, more feet. 
the more powerful he gets, the more feet he gets to see. God. Actually, another super chat from Frendo. Uh, despite Rainus's mass murder, did she prove that Team Black can just fly up and burn one? And I thought magic existed way more than there were, way more than there were many dragons. Where is it? I think there's magic in the background. That's the whole point of the Laris Greenseer thing. And yeah, let's talk about this. So after Rainus goes underground, Aegon's holding up his sword. Everyone's cheering for Blackfire. Not really for him. He's just kind of looking yeah. Blackfire and they're like, cool sword. Blackfire, yeah, like that sword, man. All the symbols. But then Rainey's makes the interesting decision, which I didn't even think she could do. She bursts through the floor, maybe the beast beneath the boards, with Melees and kills conservatively probably like a dozen or more people. The bodies start go flying as Melees emerges from the ground. And then we see Melees' tail whipping around and just sending people flying into the walls. So she killed a lot of people to do that. Yeah. Yeah, when you put it like that, it doesn't sound so cool, does it? Because they were small folk. But yeah, it was, I thought it was a strange. It was a strange scene. I guess that they wanted some excitement in the being a very serious yeah. episode. Lots of talking. Yes, they wanted some action because it was quite strange for a dragon to come up through stone floor out of nowhere. It was it strained. I believe it. Yeah, maybe it, maybe there's. I assume that one passage they showed wasn't big enough for all the dragons to get out of the one that Aemon walked down. I guess maybe there's like the floor opens or something crazy like that, like a Roman Colosseum. Otherwise, I don't really know how that happened. Maybe bucked its back into the stone and broke it and came out. Mystics aside, clearly Rhaenys emerges in this moment to challenge Aegon and to make her statement for the war. And she decides to not kill everyone on the dais like she could. That's the whole point. The bells are ringing. She's the queen with her dragon in the dragon pit. She's there to start burning everybody. They actually have Eve Best move forward. You can see her start to make the word Dracarys in her mouth and holds back. And yeah. I think now is the good time to go to the article that Shanti Collins got with Eve Best. So this is her words on what why Rhaenys did not kill everybody in that moment and avert the war. She says... I know the temptation is there. In the end, she has she makes a bigger choice. We see that the moment with what's going on in Ukraine to choose not to destroy is the better choice. That's an important thing for all us to all remember right now. Interesting analogy there from Eve Best. It's why she would have made such a great leader. She had in that moment all the power, yet she has respect for Allison as a woman and a mother. They understand being the grip of the other people who might torch them. They know only the right choice is not to go there. Furthermore, it's the intelligent choice on her part not to torch a bunch of innocent people in the room. What's to be gained? In the end, it's not her battle. The escape she makes on the dragon is something that's been brewing since that very moment she was passed over wrongly, unjustly for the crown. It's this yearning to just get the hell out of there and get away from that whole ruddy lot of things. When she bursts out of that arena, she's internally F you all. It's more about that than a need for revenge or destruction that the men might have jumped onto. She is breaking her own glass ceiling. Okay. Thoughts? She is a bit of a tortured analogy. Yeah, I'm not sure about breaking the Ukraine the one. glass ceiling, the Ukraine. It's always interesting to hear the actors talk about their characters' motivations. And there's, there was, is a distinction between the actors and the writers because sure. the actors have a, a very different perspective and it's not, uh, I wouldn't invalidate that but it's very different from the the what the writers have tried to instill in the words and yeah they have their own perspective and yeah there's the critical difference that actors often don't know the end point of the story mm. so 
Eve Bass may not know. She might have read the books, but a lot of times they haven't read a script maybe more than one or two episodes ahead. Certainly, she probably hasn't read the scripts for season two if they exist. And some actors intentionally don't read spoilers and source material. I know that was true in a lot of in Game of Thrones for a lot of them. Her perspective is sting. Sure. But it may not be that the writer's perspective because they have the they've got the whole thing laid out in front of them. They know where they're going. She doesn't. It's nice to just say, yep, she's just going to bugger off. And- I guess. I, I, but- I didn't get that impression at all from what Eve Best said. I thought it was the idea that she was showing mercy back to them that no. Allison was offering to her family. We can still work this out. And mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of what they were going for. But she really wanted to in that moment. They showed her about to order Maylis to kill everybody and then she held mm-hmm. back and instead ran away so it's not that i don't know mm-hmm. i'm not sure about the idea of her being so political she knows this is a bad idea i think it would be the other way in that she realizes that if she lets this continue to go that the war is inevitable there's there, there's going to be no way back this is probably her only shot to stop it before it gets worse because she could have stopped it by stopping it. oh also if siding you, with Vaymond, that would have stopped it it but if you take out Allison, Otto, Aegon, Aemond, sadly, Helena, all of them standing on the dais. It's it comes back to that half a dozen lives to save tens of thousands. Yeah, save what's coming next. Arguably, her mercy may have been a mistake. Sorry, Ned, but <laughs> Ned, I, I don't know. And Ned then, rolling you know, in the it, future. Did we? Did you watch the preview? Nope. What did they show? She's, it's just her at Dragonstone saying the greens are coming for you. Now the previews have a way of showing things and taking things out of context. So we don't know what else she was saying around that, but it doesn't seem like she had the impression that they could still maybe have hmm. a peaceful solution. Although I think they also in the preview showed that Rhaenyra was hoping that there might be a peaceful solution. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of curious. This was the thing I was talking with people the most about before the episode went live was just like making sense of that choice in terms of her previous conversations and her actions in the previous episodes because she had thrown all in the previous one that I thought that was the point of the scene with Veyman's body that she was reflecting on what she had just doomed everybody to that she understood the consequences another dead body on the ambition of the throne and I figured that would, would have influenced her to be like I have to do this I have to kill Aegon and Allison to stop this from happening. Yes. And went the other way. And it just went the other way. And yeah. Yeah. That's how that one went down. Uh, I'm just Rainy's reflective right now. So I'm sorry. I've been reflecting on it for a few days and I still don't, I'm still not sure. And Eve Best comments only made me more confused. Yeah. Totally possible. I just misread everything. That definitely happened. It's also saying that she changed clothes into her dragon riding armor. So they were trying to fake you out that she was totally going to do this. Yeah. I'd like to hear from Sarah Hess, who is the writer, the lead writer on the episode, what her intentions were. I missed the after the episode. I'm sure they talked about it, too. Uh, Yeah, we didn't see it yet. So we were running around with our heads cut off like chickens. Things didn't go so hot. Yeah, a little technical. The usual. My fault. It's all right. So the other thing about it is that I was picturing this to Ashea. I think what they could have done to make it a little bit of both is I think they should have had Vagar emerge in this Mm -hmm. moment. 
and using like the weird psychic connection they have. She breaks her chains. She starts coming out into the dragon pit and Rainey's considering killing all of them, but realizes that she won't get out alive either. And then mm. that's when she runs with Maylis rather than facing mm. Vega. Then that would have been pretty yeah. good foreshadowing for things to come with the dragon fights. It would have forced her into that critical moment and it would have made it a little bit more understandable why she decides not to. And that certainly that's where I'm wondering about Sarah Hess, the writer mm. that could have been her intention. That's what was in Rainey's mind. Like Rainey's probably wasn't thinking about the Ukraine, but <laughs> I hope not. She might've been thinking about Vagar and other, I mean, there's presumably Vagar and Sunfire and Dreamfire and sure. I don't know about Morgul and Shrikos, <laughs> a number of other dragons. They may not exist. A lot of dragons in that pit. But there's a bunch of pretty good sized dragons down there. So maybe that's what she was thinking of. It could have been. Sanrixian points out that Vagar is too big for the dragon pit. I still don't know about that one because Vagar and Beleriand both were in the dragon pit. I don't know. I also don't know where Aemon's keeping her if she's not in the dragon pit. Where do they, how do they get in the dragon pit? The way it's <laughs> That door is show, not that big. Big, like a cathedral with a roof and a door that's only this big. How are the dragons? I know there's a back door, you know, that when we get later in the story in Fire and Blood, they describe the back door to the dragon pit. But seriously, I don't know. I just got to wonder how the giant dragons get in there. Even Maylis. How did she get in? What, what? She squeezed her I mean, wings in. She went, through the, she went through the door, but then there she is. How did they get down below? Like that passageway was only about yay big. Yeah. I don't know. I'm so kind of torn on it. Dragon pit. I'm going to be thinking about that whole sequence, I think, for probably the rest of the week, as I have been already, where it's, am I fundamentally misunderstanding Rhaenys and what they've been doing with her? Or was that kind of like a blown plot point? Yeah. I'm not sure. It did It did look cool. Yeah. It sure did. Oh, it was very exciting. She, I, Maylis was beautiful. Very excited to see Maylis. She's gorgeous, as expected. My favorite dragon. Yoke Boy, as the noted dragon attractiveness expert, how would you rank yeah. Melee's against Sunfire? Is she as sexy as Sunfire? No, Sunfire beats all the other dragons for sexiness. <laughs> of course. No, Sorry, everyone comes Gray. beneath Sunfire. The objective They've all got their qualities. They've all got their qualities. And <laughs> But as it says in Fire and Blood, to recount Fire and Blood, the most beautiful dragon that ever existed was Sunfire. Wonderful. Was so was that actually in Fire and Blood, or did you just write that into the margins? Sadly, it does say that. Oh. Or it says that some people say, but Maester people Yokeboy. say lots of things, Yoke Boy. Yeah, you people, come a full circle because I was the source. People, <laughs> people like Coldplay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe Sunfire. Full circle back to Peep Show. Oh my God. Maybe what if Sunfire <laughs> isn't the sexiest dragon? Maylee's making a pretty good showing for herself in this one. They really yeah. put a lot of effort into making really like her scales were shimmering. You could see the golden pink through her, uh, her scales and stuff like that. I am sure for our noted dragon expert in the chat that she absolutely just lost it when we finally got to see her up close and perfect looking dragon. Great job guys. I, so that's where we leave it. We're going into next episode. We're going to have Rainey's delivering the news back to Rhaenyra. The episode's called the black queen. Uh, more chess references, of course. Really loving chess this season. I don't know. What are you guys expecting from from the next episode? Where do you think they're going to leave off before we get our long break before episode before season two? We, are we allowed to speak any spoilers? You really want to? Sure. I, I think that between seasons, they've got to cut it off 
at Storm's End, but before yeah. Blood and Cheese. It probably makes sense. Yeah. I think we've seen scenes of Rhaenyra's War Council to come. I'm guessing we're going to see Harold Westerling among them because he just screwed off for the rest of this episode. I'm not sure who's going to be on Rhaenyra's side to be there. It seemed like there were a lot of random courtiers in the room with her from what we saw in the I trailers. Celticars. The best of allies. <laughs> the poor overlooked Celticars. Who else does she have in the, the Masseys and the Stauntons and the yeah. Whoever else. Is, She's doing her uh, best Dennis impression, trying to find allies and just finding Celticars. Yeah. The worst, the worst thing in the world. Oh no, I have no allies. I spent my entire life not courting the people that were sworn to, to help me get to the throne. Oh no, the consequences of my own actions. Yeah. Oh, I just love, speaking of allies, I love the fact, actually, was it, I can't remember if it was in this episode or if it was in the preview when they said to send ravens to our allies at River Run. And at River, they said that. I was like, what? And I was like, that seems pretty presumptuous. I don't think the Muppets have taken sides yet. <laughs> Lord Grove? I think that... Is it Carmen? Well, the, the Oscar? I don't know. <laughs> this is going to be so ridiculous. As they all just named after Muppets. Become Sesame Street. But yeah, that, you, you're right. It is curious because... The Riverlands, as far as we know, swears for Rhaenyra. They stick by her pretty much yeah. m most of the Riverlands. The Brackens, of course, are Brackens. So they are always on yeah. the bad guy side. Highgarden oh. makes sense. But also, curiously, Highgarden is not in fire and blood an ally of the Greens. They actively work against them. Yeah. So yeah. wondering if Otto is just, he's unsure about them. And that's why he's sending the letters first. We need to know yeah. where these two stand. Our allies. Yeah, he because he did mention the, the most uncertain. And Riverrun... Once the old guy dies and his grandson takes over, which happens very early in the dance, they're definitely all for Renee. But even early on, I think in Fire and Blood, you've got the, the old man who's like in his bed dying and he's like, Yo, I must declare for the king and no. his family. No, <laughs> quiet. If only Allison no. did the same. No. If only. Is it a, it's not a good war in Westeros if a Tully Lord doesn't die at the start of it. Yeah. Always got to have a Tully yep. getting old and dying at a critical moment so that there's chaos in River Run. Narratively, it works every time. Those, those River Lords have to just be all over the place, left to their own devices. Yeah. I'm kind of curious if they're going to involve Dorne at all, because that definitely comes up about... I think both sides try to get them, and I think neither does. Yeah. I think Dorne is probably content to let the rest of the <laughs> rest of westeros just burn yeah they really do not like being told they're part of the, the iron throne they're like oh, i'm not sure about that one although it would continue the fine tradition of game of thrones of Dorne being ignored yeah yeah just written off yeah. nobody worries about it i think if i remember correctly in fire and blood Bor is boros i think it's boros right? yeah they mentioned boros he's the lord now boros um, boros spends most of the war just kind of like in the stormlands because Dorn is threatening the borders and he's oh I can't come and help you because I gotta make sure Dorn doesn't invade. Whether Dorn is actually really planning an invasion, I think is left ambiguous. He just having, having fun in the water gardens, whatever. It doesn't matter. To, yeah. Maybe at my my impression of that is once once he sees the what happens with when dragons are involved in war, he's probably just I'm good. They don't want to so, be involved yet. And then he does yeah, so that's going to be a big part of the next episode and going into season two. Obviously, it's going to be a mad dash for allies. Otto clearly yeah. proved that he's going to bully some into supporting Aegon, who clearly don't want to, or he's going to throw him into the black cells. But the rest of the realm pretty much fractures straight down the middle. 
Yeah. Except for the North and the Erie are pretty much firm in what they end up doing. No spoiler on that one, I guess. But the rest of Westeros pretty much individual houses are pitch- are picking which way they're going. They're not really following their Lord Paramounts. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, anyone that was fortunate enough not to have a family member at court <laughs> is pretty much just free to follow their their conscience. And a lot of them follow the way they voted in the Great Council 101 or mm-hmm. the ones who swore to renew all those years ago. So it ends up being a little bit like Eustace Osgrey explains in the Sworn Shield or Sworn Sword, I think it is, where a lot of them make very arbitrary decisions based on these people they've met once. And that's mm. kind of it. And unfortunately for Ornira, I made that video a few weeks ago talking about Wilm Blackwood and the whole cattle show of suitors coming to meet her. And I mentioned it that it ends up being a big problem for her in that most of those guys do represent their houses and this will be the only interaction they have with her. And when it comes time for them to decide what they're going to do when they have to choose between Aegon and Rhaenyra, it's not going to help that most of them think of her very poorly for her actions while they were trying to pitch her on marriage, which is totally understandable why she was acting that way, but it doesn't help her cause. Yeah. Which way do you think the Dondarians are going to go? The Stormlands <laughs> don't do shit, so we know that uh, one. A lot of, and the Baratheons too, Lord, uh, Lord Baratheon at that one was pretty unhappy at her. Yeah. I'm guessing that one will carry over as well. Yeah. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? Or people in the chat, throw last questions, anything we didn't talk about while we were talking about feet and <laughs> Yoke Boy's love of sexy dragons, which I'm so happy we finally got on the record. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to talk about both of those things in one episode. <laughs> I do have chaotic streams sometimes. They they do, they go a little different than Radio Westeros ones. Just slightly. Oh, the last time you were on ours, we you brought your chaos and we had a total that was we were our I don't know what happened. But he's internet went out, our computer went out, we were yeah. running around like Keystone Cops. Your computer went out, Yoke Boy ran out of the room and I just took it over. <laughs> it's just like what's happening. You the rain. It's like the Joe Magician takeover of Radio yeah. You're broadcast now. <laughs> Mine. So let's see here. Is Laris going to kill Mysaria? He tried to. I don't think he did. I'm guessing, I'm not even sure if Laris knows who she is. Because that's the point of this episode, is that very few people know Mysaria as the White Worm. It's unclear right. if he does. The White Worm. He, he knows her mance. I don't know yeah. if he knows her. I would assume so, because Laris is the character that boy would find out. But it's. I think it's. I think they've given themselves enough wiggle room to make sure that she survives this. Yeah. Let's see here. Oswin Hull, where's the magic? We were told when there are dragons, there's more magic. Now we have dragons and no magic. Actually, that's true. We haven't seen glass candles. We haven't seen like pyromancers or anything. We haven't seen anybody climbing the flame ladder. They've just, if there's anything, it's hidden in the weirwoods, basically. It's the only real obvious inclusion at this point. You did see when Vernier and Damon were out on the town that one night, there were uh, men juggling fire. Oh, okay. Doing things, fire things. Oh, and the, and the dragon statue thing that was roaring or something like that. I guess that's kind of it. Yep. I can't really think of any others. Yeah. You'd think the glass candles would have showed up by now if they're going to be it at all. But they've not done a lot with the maesters. Yeah. No, but they have put some stock in prophecy, which mm. is, is in a similar vein. So it's not yeah. like they've just totally excluded anything magical. No. I'm very glad about that. No, Aegon has the magic knife when he probably has oh. <laughs> oh what have you heated it up 
I looked yeah. and all it said is Sexy Dragon Sunfire <laughs> by Yoke Boy. That's all it keeps saying. I knew it. That's what that's what Aegon really dreamt about. Yeah. No one can read High Valyrian. He had a weird day writing it down. That's all it really means. Um, lost in translation. Yeah. The, the pure message was lost. The Song of Ice and Fire. Oh no, it's the Song of the Sexy Sunfire. It sounds yeah. similar, Sunfire. so you can see where it comes from. Yeah. <laughs> but they have been very well okay so they were not subtle about Aegon's prophecy but the rest of it they have been they've been drip feeding it to us like helena if you didn't know what it what that meant when helena said said it it like totally missed a whole lot of fans they, yeah. and it, like obviously i had a video that did very well explaining that and part of the reason is people were like what was the big deal like yeah. why does it matter that she said the thing about the eye i'm like oh no it works in all these different ways so for us the super fans i think it's some of it's been obvious but i think they're trying to be very sly about how they're slowly turning up the volume on the magical side a lot of people wanted to hear about helena nobody understood that one yeah is someone getting to helena with the glass candles no she seems exactly like darren the drunkard and damon the second where it's constant random dragon dream so that's not glass candle behavior that's normal dragon dreamer stuff yeah although i do wonder about viserys's dream that he had one and then never again that's pretty unusual for dragon dreamers i don't think he really had a dream no you think he just made it up i think he just maybe had a dream like a, a normal like dream a yeah normal dream and he convinced i just right from the very beginning got the impression that he convinced himself oh okay that, that the dream he had was prophetic because he wanted it to be. Because he wanted it so badly. Kind of mm. reminds me, kind of in the manner of, it, it may be a little more of an actual dream, but like Sansa with the, in the Game of Thrones when she's talking about the White Heart and she mm -hmm. says, oh, I had a dream that Joffrey killed the White Heart. And then she thinks to herself, well, it wasn't really a dream. It was a dream. But <laughs> it sounds better to say it was a dream. And that is very much the vibe I got from Viserys, that it was either a daydream or just a run-of-the-mill dream about something that he really wanted and he just convinced himself because yeah you're right he never had another one the unusual in the actual dragon yeah. dreamer Danis the dreamer had an entire book of her prophecies yeah. so yeah. she should be having more than one and the ones that we other ones that we know about are like you said more or less constant they have no control or, it like drives them insane yeah it's not something that you're controlling i would wager that Aries, in fact i have wagered that Aries is a dreamer that, very much uh, explains a lot about him all of it that's what it is i was happy they confirmed that for me that like my back catalog of videos about dragon dreamers were just like all right i was like yeah they you can see all of them are having them I mean, it's just, it all lines up if you assume that and they, the show was like high five way to go buddy you did it joe yeah. <laughs> it's like all right mm -hmm. neat very cool i think that's really about it do you want to tell everybody where they can check out radio westeros yeah, sure. So we're a podcast. So we, you can find Radio Westeros wherever you find your podcasts. But we also have a YouTube channel. So come and check out Radio Westeros YouTube channel. And every Tuesday at seven, we do House of the Dragon live stream. So why don't you come on over at seven Eastern time and come and check out our presentations. It's me and Lady Gwyn and a friend, Emily the Eerie. And we, the three of us, break it down and analyze it. Yeah. And they're going to spend a lot of time this episode talk this uh, this time talking about feet. So yeah, that'll we might be... have to extend it. We might have to do. It's usually one hour and a half, but we might have to extend it to about five and a half hours. The entire time, just laughing. <laughs> we have to allow for four hours of foot content. The things Game of Thrones does to us, or House of the Dragon. Yeah, as you guys obviously do amazing reviews and 
their preparation second to none. One of the things that's great about Radio Westeros, by the way, if you guys ever go on one of their streams, the intensity of their planning docs is off the scale. They know everything. <laughs> they plan for everything. It's It makes me feel anxiety when I write my own. I'm like, this isn't up to Yoke Boy and Lady Gwyn's standards. I should try harder. Been doing uh, great stuff for years. So for oh, one last super chat from Courtney Waters, lighten it up tonight. Thanks, Courtney. Could Eamon be the father to any of Helena's kids? Like the episode he said, I would do my duty. She is her queen. Yeah, this has come up that people have been wondering if he cuckolded Aegon. I'm not sure. He seems to be caught between being Allison's good boy and also mm -hmm. his intense desire to do crime things. So... I can imagine he's thought about it. I'm not sure if he actually would. And Helena doesn't seem to be, she is familiar with Aegon's uh, behaviors with his sexuality. So I would guess that it's not like they've never done anything. They've never had sex. I'm guessing they have. So if Aemon did it, it was very on the sly and he probably would be pretty conflicted about it. Yeah, I definitely agree that he's, he seems like a good boy and we suspect that his attraction lies elsewhere and when he spoke about helena it was about doing duty yeah not that he liked like, her i love my sister i want to sleep with her it was like yeah. i would do my duty if it was requested of me and it isn't his duty to sleep with his brother's wife perhaps it was really speaking to his ambition and yeah like you say sense of duty and the importance he sees in the role that his brother doesn't share it's definitely been a thing in the fandom for the last week, though, that people have been like actively shipping the two of them. They've been making like fan art and stuff like that. And I wonder if part of it is just because he's not a total shithead to her. So like any amount of affection looks like something or more like wishing for better for Helena. Like maybe there is something, even though God help me, it's her brother, that maybe there's something that brings her joy in her life. Because I can certainly get behind supporting Helena. Yeah. Maybe not in that way, yeah. but I'm generally for later <laughs> yeah. having a better life. That that definitely came up too good for all of them. That's what came up when I posted the thing on my YouTube channel about Jason Helena, how it was so sweet watching him dance. And people were like, Oh, it's look, it's another aunt and nephew. And I was like, Listen, they're Garians. I will take as far away in the family tree as I can get. And they are as far away as they will get in this story. So it is the yeah. least incesty ship you could possibly yeah. have. Jason Helena. Yeah. I think you just have to let go of the incest. And at least when it comes to the Targaryens, they're just. I will continue being grossed out by it, but you just have to accept it, unfortunately. It's just, it's, it is what it is. It's um, normal. One last super chat here from Ayara, $10. Thank you so much. It's delusional that Allison thinks Aegon the Younger is who Viserys wanted. Makes more sense of Rhaenyra's trueborn male son. Aegon to unite the realm since it solves all the problems against Rhaenyra. Yeah, I would be interesting if it was actually the other Aegon because there's so many Aegons at this point. That'd be interesting. Also, he is trueborn at this point. He's not a bastard by any stretch of the imagination. So in that sense, the Greens whole problem with Rhaenyra about bothering bastards is just, it wouldn't even really be a thing. It would be a scandal. It's okay. These are definitely Harwins, but look, trueborn kids problem. We're done. Okay. Back off. Rhaenyra and Damon. Yes. Doesn't get any better than that. Really That's one of those things any? that oh, I'm actually glad. I'm sorry, we're about to leave. But the one last thing, I'm glad they didn't really have the Green Council have the argument about if it should be Rhaenyra versus Aegon. They'd already decided that. They'd already figured out a long time ago that they were going to put Aegon on the throne no matter what, and they didn't care about the reason. But it, it was just purely power grab in this episode. And I appreciate that as someone that has spent many an hour arguing on Reddit and Twitter about oh, who's actually right between the blacks and the greens about succession. The answer is the greens don't care about succession. 
they want Aegon, and that's the end of it. And they killed Beesbury yeah. for even trying to have that argument. So that's uh, that's. I guess I don't have to make that video. Yay! I don't have to be yelled at in my comments about people about how I don't understand the succession and how actually the Greens have a solid point. It's like they dispen they, don't. they dispensed with that. It's over. They had they didn't have a point. They have power. They want anyway. They no, they don't really have a point because there is no settled method of succession it's only been three generations yep so well, <laughs> and they've all really pretty much involved wars or great consuls so yeah not so Anyhow, anyway <laughs> yep i think that's probably about it and thanks everybody for showing up tonight slamming the like button subscribing if you haven't before and definitely make sure you check out radio westeros in my top two favorite podcasts in the fandom so if you're wondering who Actually, in terms of the crazy theories that come up in the past, they're largely responsible for them because you guys have such a great basis of knowledge and way of explaining it that it helps with coming up with theories that you have to know the material first and then jump off from it. So you guys in History of Westeros have been really the biggest reasons for the crazy shit I say. So you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment, Jay. There you go. All right. Thanks, everybody. You guys have a good night. Watch out for videos this week and make sure you check out them on Tuesday.